Flyover Politics Podcast, the show for normal Americans. From this undisclosed bunker, here's your host, Tony Reed. The whole issue has been a sham. It shouldn't have gotten this far. The House acted improperly in passing it on to the Senate. Why is your party dragging this thing out? Why is this happening? Why go through all this uh, this business about witnesses? Do we really need more witnesses? It's going to add months to this thing. We should stop this. This bogus inflated uh, case. And get on with business of governance. Will these people just get down to business and leave this impeachment thing alone? It's going to be an enormous distraction. Uh, to the White House and all kinds of issues that the Congress ought to be considering. There's a long line of, of the people's business that seems to have been put aside and apparently is going to be put aside for weeks if not months now. We begin tonight with the voice of the people. The visitor who got up and shouted, God Almighty, take the vote and get it over with. God Almighty, the man said, take the vote and get it over with. You know who the hero of this whole thing is? It's the guy who stood up in the Senate gallery last week and said, good God, vote and get over with this, will you? This process is Stalinist. His actions certainly do not warrant impeachment. Is there, is there not some concern that of the public perception in, in some quarters, not all of them Democratic, that this is in, in fact a kind of effort at a quote coup? That herd of managers from the House, <laughs> I mean, frankly, all, the, all they were missing was white sheep. They were like night riders. One White House official told me today in 20 years, he said, People will remember three things about this, that the president was impeached in the House, that he was acquitted in the Senate, and that the whole thing was a partisan hit job. Is there, is there not some concern of the public perception, in, in some quarters, not all of them Democratic, that this is in, in fact a kind of effort at a, quote, coup, that is, you have a twice-elected, popular-elected president of the United States, and so those that you mentioned in the Republican Party who dislike him and what he stands for, having been unable to beat him at the polls, have found another way to get him out of office. And welcome back to Flyover Politic Podcast. It's the 24th of January, year of our Lord, 2020. And today we're going to do impeachment. Yeah. That was our flashback. It's pretty, pretty insane. We'll also do a good section on the Virginia rally that, you know, I want to make sure we understand what the media said and what the media said afterwards and a short news and social media nuggets. So today, uh, I hope I complete this. I have been sick as shit. Didn't get to go fishing. Got the flu. And I haven't really fully recovered from said flu. Um, so I hope my voice stays with it. <clears throat> usually when I have these problems, I grab a stogie. So I will be lighting up a stogie in a bit. That usually helps me a little bit. It sounds silly, but um, if you've never tried hot toddies and stuff like that, that sounds like I'm trying to be a um, moonbeam fucking freak. It, it does work. I took a... Uh, Theraflu, and a detox tea with a shot of Jack Daniels last night before I went to bed, and I had the best night's sleep I've had all week. Um, so it, it actually did work pretty well. It's also a really bad day. Um, positive vibes going out for my wife. It's I think she's going to be getting let go by her company. Uh, she's been there a long time, and her 
companies moving in a direction where people from the previous administration are no longer wanted. So uh, I've been there, went through that with dirt cheap. It wasn't good. Uh, my boss got fired, and of course they wanted me gone. So it was just a matter of time. I luckily found a job. So things might be changing. Your humble host might have to get off to Schneid. You know, I've been retired, and uh, you know we won't be that financially strapped, but we'll be definitely tighter. So I might have to go get a job. That'll be uh, interesting because. I don't know if people will hire somebody who's been sitting on their ass for 18 months. Maybe they will. I don't know. So, uh, wish us some luck there. That's some personal shit. Rarely do it, but I will. And let's get into the show. Because I want to make sure we preface before we get into it. And this will be soundbite intensive. Um, really, where we're at. And I think uh, Bill Cassidy kind of sums this up when we start. The rules laid out by the Senate Majority Leader for the impeachment trial follow the Clinton model, which passed 100 to 0 in 1999. Why can't Schumer accept the same rules that he voted for two decades ago? You know, you go on Twitter, and it's like two different worlds. Normal people, this is a terrible look for the Dems. They didn't do their due diligence. They didn't get search warrants or anything. There was no crime. And the media that this is the greatest impeachment and the most a president's ever done illegally and the Dems are the smartest people on the planet. I mean, it's just like night and day. And I just don't follow conservatives. I follow all sorts of people. And it's just been the consensus. If you go into the Twitter moments, it is media at the top saying this and latest, everybody going, this is not looking too good. With that soundbite I just played, here's some more, some pundits. This is from Dan Rather, uh, and all these are from 1999. Is it, is or is there not some concern of the public perception, concern of some quarters, not all of them Democratic, that this is in fact a kind of a coup? Yeah, yeah he said that January 7th. Uh, uh, Eleanor Clift, the herd of messengers from the House, I mean, frankly, all they were missing were white sheets. Like night Riders going over. Ginger Thompson of the New York Times. As she watches Republicans in Congress push ahead with impeachment proceedings against Clinton, Ellen Mendel of Manhattan says she feels the same despair that she did as a girl in Nazi Germany. You get it? Mm-hmm. It's always Nazis and racists. That's, that's what the left does. It used to work. It just doesn't anymore. Uh, MSDNC's Hockenberry. But uniquely stupid is not the world... Word I would describe this process as Stalinist. That's pretty interesting. Fascism was there back in the day. Uh, Bob Dole, but Senator, there's no way that this is going to turn around if the votes aren't there. Why is your party dragging this thing out? Why go through all this business after witnesses? Why not just get it done? That was Charlie Gibson to Bob Dole. Uh, Rivera Live, MSDNC, Geraldo Rivera. Yeah, people forget that he was, you know... Super lib back in the day. Do we really need more evidence, more witnesses, or did today's vo- votes pre- prove beyond a, any doubt, as Senator Daschle believes, that there will never be needed two-third majority to convict the president? And there's never going to be. The votes to date, even the people on the fence, stayed Republican. They didn't play the game. Peter Jennings we begin tonight with the voice of the people heard from the Senate gallery today during a yet another procedural vote at the president's impeachment trial. God Almighty, the man said, take the vote and get it over with. 
He was arrested and may think it was worth it speaking as he does for so many Americans. Now a guy who is pro-impeachment got arrested. That was all over Twitter. He just had a sign. The people that were against impeachment got left alone. Wall Street Journal. Uh, Al Hunt. You know who the hero is in this whole thing is? It's that guy, what was his name? Richard Lamas, the guy who stood up in the Senate gallery last week and said, good God, vote and get it over with. That's not happening now. Dan Rather to Bob Schiefert. Saddam Hussein has his aircraft in the air threatening U.S. fighting men and women in the military. There are questions about Social Security, what to do about health care. There's a long line of people's business that seems to have been put aside, and apparently it's going to be put aside for weeks, if not months now. They did that. November 9th, 2016. We've done nothing. Everything the Dems have passed never was going to pass. It was virtue signaling to their base, the far, far left base. Uh, Charlie Gibson to Bob Dole on January 18th. If you're going to drag this thing out for months with the witnesses, whether it's the House White House line or not, it's going to take a long time to do that. It's going to be an enormous distraction to the White House and all kinds of issues that Congress ought to be considering and all kinds of foreign policy issues this country needs to consider or get get to, eventually put it in a pigeonhole until it all gets done. And lastly, live coverage following the State of the Union January 19th. Americans must look at this. If 57 million people look at this and go, where is impeachment? Why is this happening? Will these people just get down to business and leave this impeachment thing alone? That was then. With the demo, of course. Here's a great example of now in print. Chuck Todd, outraged, outraged. Why aren't Democrats making life miserable for the GOP? This is his article. His first read newsletter, the headline was, Why aren't Democrats making life miserable for vulnerable Republicans on impeachment? Todd never a referee. He's yelling at players in the field. Todd wants more punch than a Democratic offense. It sure looks like Senate Majority Leader Mitch McConnell is going to ram through an incredibly speedy impeachment trial, which could result in President Trump's acquittal by as early as next week. If McConnell gets his way, Senate Democrats will offer amendments to try to modify the ground rules. Democrats might have only themselves to blame. Todd complained back on December 11th that the Republicans were winning the game of asymmetrical warfare, that there are some people who look at this impeachment situation and looks like the Republicans Republicans are playing to win, and the Democrats are trying to play by the rules. Adam Schiff was playing by the rules, the article asked. That's not what Republicans would say. Todd complained that Republicans spent 10 to $15 million on campaign ads on impeachment, and the Democrats didn't match it. He's still complaining today. As it turns out, they put little to no pressure on a list of 11 different Republicans that are in close races. According to our ad tracker at Advertise Analytics, there are 11 impeachment theme ads airing across the country right now, and all 11 are by Republican and GOP groups. Not a single one is by Democrats putting the pressure on Republicans. If the shoe were on the other foot, say President Hillary Clinton faced a Senate impeachment trial, we're fairly certain we see GOP ads directed at all these people. So why haven't Democrats tried to pressure GOP senators, especially in the months since the House passed their impeachment articles against Trump? Democrats might have an overall facts on their side as they have a slight majority of Americans supporting Trump's conviction and removal, according to yesterday's CNN poll. But they've yet to make life miserable on 
these people. And that makes it much easier for Mitch McConnell to win. Back on December 1st, Todd lamented the lack of public support for impeachment was because the Republicans were bullying Democrats and the Democrats didn't pick up a weapon. The article asked the question, Sema, all this talk of asymmetrical warfare never seems to include the millions of dollars in free Democrat talking points offered by ABC, CBS, NBC, PBS, MSDNC, and CNN. And that is really where we're at in this. The Democrats don't need to waste their money on political campaigns. They have you, Chuck Todd. As will be laid out, the first thing you're going to hear as we go into our violent left, because this ends violently, and yet the media ignored it once again. Here, literally, is an ad from MSDNC. The biggest terror threat in this country is white men, most of them radicalized right up to the right. All punches are not equal morally. Donald Trump on trial. For only the third time in history, an American president impeached, charged with abuse of power and obstruction of Congress. This thing is a big hoax. It's a big hoax. He will remain a threat to national security and the Constitution if allowed to remain in office. Today, the impeachment trial of Donald Trump. That's an ad from a, and I'm air quoting, a news agency. But remember, as we talked when this all started, the media has pushed for this since 2016. They wanted an impeachment because they're part of the Democratic left. I have a very long MSNBC and soundbite, but I'll just play the one that pretty much sums up the, the angle on MSNBC. This is about democracy. And so in some ways, it feels like they're trying to foreclose all kinds of resolution avenues. And at that point, if no one's going to force testimony, then the president ultimately wins. And of course, Melissa, we've also seen the Justice Department having the guidance that a sitting president cannot be indicted. And the argument made from one of the president's private attorneys in, I think, a New York courtroom that even if he did shoot somebody on Fifth Avenue, that is not something that could be investigated and prosecuted while he's in office. Yeah, I mean, again, this is the big question. Is the president going to be above the law and that's the whole point of this impeachment hearing right we're supposed to use impeachment as a last resort against abuses of powers that can't be checked in the ordinary political process or the ordinary judicial process and that's where we are and the whole question of whether the president can stall every avenue of resolution is one that this body has to take seriously because if they can't resolve it here then we don't have a democracy we have something else and that's why the president said a couple years ago to leslie stall 60 minutes I call them fake news, so when they catch me, it won't count. 
Rick? No, that he's trying to abjure. He's trying to to discredit the media because the media can call him out, and he wants to be able to say, well, they don't have any credibility. I have more credibility. That's what monarchs do. That's what kings yeah. do. That's what Stalin did. Don't listen to the New York Times. Listen to Pat Cipollone. <laughs> it's unbelievable. In their heads, because they believe there's 25% gay and lesbian, there's 80% people of color, the majority of Americans voted uh, you know, for Hillary instead of against Trump, and these cooked surveys they do that are liberally slighted, of course, well, this is what the majority of the people of America want, when actually everything that's been shown is the total difference. I mean, it's just not what, that's not what America's talking about. Most Americans don't give a fuck there's actually proof that it's the opposite, even for Democrats. So our network news, well, you can guarantee it's by who's the anchor. Surprisingly, I don't have a lot of NBC on this. But the new CBS anchor, oh, she's all in because she's all Democrat. That's exactly what I think we just saw for the past couple of hours, two and a half hours, is Adam Schiff addressing the Senate sitting as a court of impeachment with a proper legal argument. It was meticulous and well-organized. It was grounded in evidence, which he recited and arranged, as you said, in a comprehensive narrative. At times, he tried to rise to a level of eloquence and stir a sense of responsibility for the Senate. We heard him again and again talk about the responsibility to future times, that what is done here will have an impact generations to come on the delicate balances in the Constitution, on the power of the President and the Congress and how uh, they have been arranged up until now. At one point saying that if the Senate rejects the Democrats' case, that the President abused his power, quote, we will write the history of our decline with our own hands. And I think we're seeing a clash of cultures that is going to be uh, right through this trial. Uh, here is an argument made by Adam Schiff in a classic legal fashion, even rising to the level of senatorial eloquence, if there is such a thing, in contrast to the rhetoric that we live with every day, the, the kind of brash and proudly profane Trumpian rhetoric where argument consists essentially of gainsaying uh, your opponent or calling them names, uh, Rathuglican or Democrat or whatever, that now passes in many, many areas of our life uh, as sufficient, sufficient to resolve difficult questions of policy. This is a test of that older way of, of resolving issues, the older style of argument that we just listened to for two and a half hours, and the bullet-fast, bullet-hard argument uh, that is championed more than anyone in our public life by the president who is being impeached. A test right now of the Senate. I'm often shocked when I get all these tweets and emails calling me this lefty, crazy liberal and lefty, lefty. And I'm like, so you're calling the former federal prosecutor who was tough on crime, who was raised Roman Catholic, a lefty. Like, I'm pretty socially conservative and have always been. I'm pro-life, have always been and, and say it all the time. Yet I'm always called a lefty. I think so because, many. Because we disagree with you when you say you're pro-life because you're I really know. not. You're pro-life for yourself. See, but... you telling me what I am. <laughs> 
because you, because if you're pro-life, it means that you don't want anybody to have an abortion. I don't want anyone to have an abortion, but I also believe in the fundamental ideals of this country. I don't tell other people what to think or what to do. So that's pro-choice. I, 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 that's I, my point. You know, I, 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 I believe in, <laughs> in freedom of thought. But I, but I also, uh, which is what our Constitution um, tells me, but I also think that uh, so many um, African Americans are, they consider themselves to be moderate, they consider themselves to be um, conservative, and I think that's why a lot of the African American vote is firmly aligned with Joe Biden right now within the Democratic Party because they consider him to be more moderate. Yeah, true. I, I think that's why the vote is right. I think people who decide to paint anybody with a brush need to s- step back. We, like you all, uh, come with different ideas and feelings. Some things I'm, I'm conservative on, some things I'm liberal about. But Schumer quickly moved on to the biggest fight of all. I send an amendment to the desk to subpoena certain documents and records from the White House. Whether there will be White House documents and witnesses in the Senate trial, including acting White House Chief of Staff Mick Mulvaney and former National Security Advisor John Bolton. House managers joined the fight. Not a single president has issued a blanket direction to his administration to produce no documents and no witnesses. Schumer lost on a party-line vote with Republicans arguing that the time to consider witnesses and documents is after this week's opening arguments. A partisan impeachment is like stealing an election. At times today, the president's legal team sounded less like lawyers and more like President Trump in his angry tweets. Why are we here? Are we here because of a phone call? And it's outrageous. It's outrageous. And the American people won't stand for it, I'll tell you. And we got round one in this preview of the House Democratic managers versus the White House. We had Adam Schiff up there for more than 40-something minutes, according to my notes, 17 full screens laying out details. There was video of the president saying he would be happy to have everybody testify. Chairman Schiff's presentation, I mean, the full screen that said, you know, that zero documents have been presented by the White House. They had uh, full screens with pictures of every White House official that has um, uh, that the president directed not to test. I mean, the, he was putting, trying to put his argument essentially on full screen in graphics for not only the senators, 100 senators, but for the American people. Breaking news tonight, making their case. The Democrats prosecuting the president open the Senate trial in dramatic fashion. If this conduct is not impeachable, then nothing is. Accusing him of abusing his office in an effort to make sure he could keep it. President Trump withheld hundreds of millions of dollars in military aid to secure foreign help with his re-election. In other words, to cheat. Tonight, the three key dates House managers now say prove the president's guilt. Good evening and thank you so much for joining us. The Democrats prosecuting the president say it comes down to this. President Trump tried to use the powers of his office to cheat an election. In a series of dramatic presentations stretching into the night, House managers laid out their case to remove Mr. Trump from office, at times using his own words against him. Today was the first of what will be three eight-hour-long presentations by the Democrats. 
before the president's lawyers are even allowed to speak. Democrats are focusing on what they call a crucial three-day span last July, painting a picture of a president who was intent on leveraging military aid to try to get Ukraine to dig up dirt on Joe Biden, saying if his conduct isn't impeachable, then nothing is. Well, we've got team coverage on this historic day from both ends of Pennsylvania Avenue. Ben Tracy's at the White House. We're going to begin tonight with Nancy Cordes on Capitol Hill. Nancy? Nora, the impeachment managers are walking the Senate through all the evidence step by step, every phone call, every email, as they lay out why they believe this Senate should be the first in U.S. history to remove. We sat down exclusively with four of the Democratic impeachment managers who tell us they believe some intelligence agencies were told to withhold evidence related to Ukraine. It's an explosive charge, as today they continue to demand a fair Senate trial. Chairman, is your committee still investigating, and are you hoping to introduce new evidence during this trial? You are now accusing the National Security Agency of withholding critical intelligence that could be useful in this impeachment trial. What specific intelligence or intercepts are you looking for? We have requested uh, intelligence, relevant intelligence concerning Ukraine as a part of our oversight responsibility. The intelligence agencies, um, some of them have stopped cooperating uh, and it's our understanding they're doing this on the instructions of others or with the advice of others. What is it that you don't feel like you have and that you need? The White House says you failed to allege any crime or violation of the law. What's the crime? The president's legal team says he did not obstruct Congress because he acted with extraordinary and unprecedented transparency by declassifying and releasing those call summaries. And we'll see those House impeachment manager. Hmm. You know, when you look at President Clinton's time and, and the impeachment trial then and you compare it to the climate right now, both for journalism, for media and for politics on Capitol Hill, what do you extract when you compare 21 years ago to what's going on today? Well, you bring up the media. Of course, there was no Twitter. Mm -hmm. uh, presidents wouldn't be able to comment while other witnesses were being te were testifying and being cross-examined. Uh, I, there was no Fox News, I don't know. I don't think so. No. Uh, no. So there, there was not this complete partisanship. You know, going back to uh, Nixon's time, we were operating, we television journalists were operating under something called the Fairness Doctrine. And we were compelled to be completely impartial and completely nonpartisan. And you, when you turn on cable today... Uh, there's no problem with people stating their position politically uh, and, and commenting on the witnesses in terms of their own political bias. Uh, that's, that's fair. Remember, as we went into this case, they went behind closed doors. They didn't allow any defense witnesses. They didn't do any subpoenas. They didn't do anything because this is bullshit. It's a phone call that you're saying the president of the United States can't do things when all the proof keeps pushing back to Biden got the prosecutors fired and there's illegal money going on. And it's pretty shady that if you really will play a soundbite. Later of him getting asked the question again and, and Biden losing it because this is bad for him. There's actually conservative pundits are saying, what's the difference between this and the email scandal? 
But you get up there and you're going to hear him twisting things, saying things that's being shift, and it kind of presses into where we're at, how the media is totally twisting this. And then I'm going to play right behind it. It's a little bit of a long soundbite. The manager, one of the house managers, and it pretty much sums up what this is about. And you'll hear what it's about. In unprecedented fashion, the president ordered the entire executive branch of the United States of America to categorically refuse and completely obstruct the House's impeachment investigation. Such a wholesale obstruction of congressional impeachment has never before occurred in our democracy. And it represents one of the most blatant efforts at a cover-up in history. If not remedied by his conviction in the Senate and removal from office, President Trump's abuse of his office and obstruction of Congress will permanently alter the balance of power among the branches of government, inviting future presidents to operate as if they are also beyond the reach of accountability, congressional oversight, and the law. On the basis of this egregious misconduct, the House of Representatives returned two articles of impeachment against the president. First, charging that President Trump corruptly abused the powers of the presidency to solicit foreign interference in the upcoming presidential election for his personal political benefit. And second, that President Trump obstructed an impeachment inquiry into that abuse of power in order to cover up his misconduct. The House did not take this extraordinarily extraordinary step lightly. As we will discuss, impeachment exists for cases in which the conduct of the president rises beyond mere policies, disputes to be decided otherwise and without urgency at the ballot box. Instead, we are here today to consider a much more grave matter, and that is an attempt to use the powers of the presidency to cheat in an election for precisely this reason. The president's misconduct cannot be decided at the ballot box, for we cannot be assured that the vote will be fairly won. In corruptly using his office to gain a political advantage, in abusing the powers of that office in such a way to jeopardize our national security and the integrity of our elections, in obstructing the investigation into his own wrongdoing, the president has shown that he believes that he's above the law and scornful of constraint. As we saw yesterday on the screen, that under Article 2, he can do anything he wants. Moreover, given the seriousness of the conduct at issue and its persistence, this matter cannot and must not be decided by the courts which apart from the presence of the Chief Justice here today, are given no role in impeachments in either the House or the Senate. Being drawn into litigation taking many months or years to complete would provide the President with an opportunity to continue his misconduct.
Adam Schiff may have just twisted words once again. The House Intel chairman sending a letter to Jerry Nadler allegedly mischaracterizing a text message exchange between Lev Parnas and Rudy Giuliani in which Parnas referred to setting up a meeting with Mr. Z. Schiff says that's Ukrainian President Zelensky, but Politico reports it was likely Burisma founder Mykola Zolcheski. Is that right? I think so, yeah. Giuliani responding on Twitter saying it is impossible to address all the Dem lying today that should be discipline for members who conspire to defraud and are serial liars. As we all know, litigation would take an extremely long time, likely years, not weeks or months. This body cannot permit him to hide all the evidence while disingenuously insisting on lawsuits that he doesn't actually think we can file, ones that he knows won't be resolved until after the election he is trying to cheat to win it's about the election that he's gonna cheat to win cheat because he's cheated on the first one supposedly no proof we've had fucking three years of investigations there's nothing there but he's cheating and and let's be honest what is ukraine gonna do Ukraine, all they could have done, even if he did this, and this was illegal, which I don't see as high crimes and misdemeanors, not because I'm a Trumper, but I'm putting it on the same line that the media and Democrats would allow for one of their presidents, this would not be, if lying to the American people in 1999 about having a sexual relationship and perjuring yourself is not high crimes and misdemeanors to the media, and Democrats, well, then this is definitely not high crimes and misdemeanors. All they would have proved is that Biden's son was doing some dirty shit over there, and Biden himself, as the vice president, did dirty shit. And they don't want that to get out, because they believe he's the only person that can beat Trump. And in the end, they don't even have faith in their own candidates to beat Trump, so they need to continue the constant maligning of a president investigations, and et cetera, et cetera, because they think that's the best way they can literally win the election. Their dream is we get them impeached, and then there's Pence, and we can get all the people that are afraid that he actually does conversion therapies to come to the polls, and we'll win with whoever the fuck we put up. With our illegal voting. Oh, that's in the show, too. Yeah. Illinois. It finally got reported in the media. Even though we talked about it a month ago. Yeah. So Hollywood admits they'll accept nothing less than Trump's removal. Don't worry, CNN's coming. Um, let's see, Moscow Mitch was trending. Uh, Bette Midler blasted Moscow Mitch. Commu- uh, other GOP centers, a bunch of communists. She tweeted a speedy trial of criminal enterprise, no documents, no witnesses. Sounds like the communist to me, but of course it's being run by Moscow Mitch, and he's for sure studied as Stalin. Midler also composed an inane poem on a topic tweeting, Moscow Mitch and Bolshevik, no witness, no worries, we'll get him off in four days' time. We also own the juries. The moral arc these tragic days no longer bends to justice, no matter how they try and try. Justice is for just us. Yeah. Chelsea Handler insinuated conspiracy as well, tweeting the Republicans control the proceedings to such an extent that they might as well have the trial at Trump's Florida resort. She wrote, at this point, I'm surprised Moscow Mitch didn't propose having the impeachment trial at Mar-a-Lago. 
John Lugazamo tweeted in anger, Putin, Mitch, and Murdoch are destroying our democracy. History will be not kind to them. He also retweeted Schumer's post about McConnell's cover-up. Um, yeah. Liz Winstead, that piece of shit, tweeted, Trump's legal team are also paid contributors to 24-hour news channel that has no fact-checking department, which means they can redefine the rules for impeachment, and that seems like it's not going to go great for democracy. That's once again why I read the first thing. Those, It's true. It's true, my friends. These are the same rules they said were okay before. They, they just forget some people research things. The media, you know, the Chuck Todd's of the world aren't going to. They know, but they're not going to say that. All right, then she goes, she's driving full speed off the cliff as well. Will and Grace star Deborah Messing admitted she never come to terms with reality of tweeting cover-up McConnell in response to the news that he won't be listening to new claims at the window in which Democrats were allowed to bring their evidence close. Not that it's a proper legal procedure or anything. She also shared more news on the platform commenting Midnight Mitch cover-up. These folks are this hell-bent on condemning the president. What kind of reaction should we expect if Trump wins re-election? Well, Liz Milano provides it for us. I'm in the Senate chamber for the removal trial. This is what democracy looks like. They're taking my phone. I'll update later. Somebody said maybe she should have checked beforehand on the rules. You cannot bring in any battery-operated electronic device. Medical devices are permitted. Maybe checked at the House or Senate staging area. Cameras, both in and out of the session, maybe checked at the House staging area. And video recorders or any type of recording device maybe checked at the House or Senate staging area. Others asked, why the hell is she even going anyway? Her take when she got back to her precious phone, my take away thus far, the defense feels totally unprepared compared to the impeachment manager's. I have a direct view of the defense attorney. They're occasionally smiling, scoffing, and things the impeachment manager are presenting. Feels like they aren't taking this process seriously. Adam Schiff is in total control. Trump, Trump should probably change his nickname to Sharp Schiff. Sharp Schiff is making defense look like hacks. I'm giving them the nickname Delusional Defense. If one thing is clear, a trial without witness or documents isn't a trial. It's a cover-up. And Senate Republicans voting against witnesses and basic document are complicit. The American people are smarter than this. Mark Kikorian. The impeachment trial will be a big yawn for millions of Americans. Couldn't get the article because WAPO wouldn't let me VPN in or anything. But it sounds a lot like this. But as the hearings carried on, concerns set in even for Democratic voters. I think it's going to impact the Democratic primary more than it's going to end up ever removing Trump from office. Are you concerned that all the attention surrounding the impeachment inquiry is overshadowing other issues? I think that that's what people are unfortunately paying attention to, is they think that the entire Congress is paralyzed. For Republicans, impeachment has made them dig in more. How do you think this impeachment inquiry is influencing you as a voter? I'm becoming more and more of a supporter of Donald Trump. And I think a lot of people in this area are the same way. By the time I made it to Ashtabula County, Ohio, during the House vote, fatigue had set in. It's a big waste of time and it was unnecessary. It's the very epitome of what frustrates people about Washington. Is this sort of impeachment fatigue 
real right now? How's it affecting folks at home? Yeah, I think the fatigue is real. And how do you think impeachment actually impacts the election in November when we get there? Yeah, I mean, look, I don't think impeachment is going to be really the thing that moves the needle for most people. Most voters I've talked to, this hasn't really changed their minds. That was NBC. So those people are Democrats, not Republicans. And I tweeted it numerous times. I was on the bubble. I was really feeling like 2004 again. Maybe it's better Trump goes away and we get somebody else just so that the fucking world can settle for a while. Democrats can stop burning and beating and killing people, as we'll see today. And we can move on as a country, maybe get a few things done. There'll still be a Senate majority, so they won't be able to pass all their fucking crazy Green New Deal shit and just all their shit. But we'll get some forward progress. But I'm voting Trump. I This is ridiculous. This is three and a half fucking years of this shit. And this impeachment, the more you peel the onion, it is a fucking joke. And then for them to throw their little fits about things when... This was okay for Clinton. And when you really, really dig back that there is nothing here. We had on camera Obama say the very same things. I can do what the fuck I want. Which is worse than what they say he might have said and withheld some aid to a country when... It was okay with the media, because they didn't even cover it, for Biden to say, hey, we're not going to work with you as a country unless you get rid of this fucking prosecutor who's trying to put my kid in jail. That, to me, is worse. And that actually happened. I mean, that's a true thing. And there's reporting all over the place of him getting a lot of money. And where was that money coming from? Was it currying favor for a child of a vice president? Of course it was. That's some shady shit. So that's okay for the media and Democrats. Well, we put this in what it is. It is politics. They just want to stain him. That's why they had golden pens and did fist bumps. They got what they wanted. His record will firm it for forever. Be marked as an impeached president, just like Clinton. But unlike Clinton, it, it'll follow him the rest of his life. Clinton, it, they didn't say formally impeached President Bill Clinton with his shady-ass Clinton Foundation that no longer exists because all the fucking WikiLeaks showed that it was a money laundering site for them. I mean, seriously, folks, what is allowed on the left to the right makes me very questionable. Why would I vote for a Democrat? All they care about is other people. I mean, seriously, their leading candidate for president said this. These kids have come. They've done well. Most of these kids, there's there's a lot of them, and they're not just Hispanic. They're uh, Asian Pacific Islanders as well. And they, in fact, have done very, very well. In many cases, they're more Americans than most Americans are because they have done well in school. They believe what they, the basic principles that we all share. I think they should be, in fact, fine put on a path to citizenship. 
So DACA kids are better than Americans. That's that's what he said. DACA's. DACA kids are better than Americans. That's their leading candidate. But that's how they look at it. I mean, folks, that's what they believe in their hearts. And they're doing it every fucking election. I mean, you say, all those liberals out there, oh, he's just a moonbat. He's just a trumper. He's an idiot. Those driver's licenses so these illegal aliens can live in America. They need to be able to drive around. They need to be able to fucking conduct business in a society. But the point of it wasn't to give them driver's license. 2016, we played fucking Austin. Come back later, the other person let you vote. The person knew they weren't. And then we had all the little fucking reports of all these areas where they found illegals and people got thrown in jail for illegally voting twice. And then finally... The AP, Illinois Dems, admit mistake allowed non-citizens to vote. In 2018, spokesman Matt Dietrich told WCIA on Monday, 574 non-U.S. citizens were inadvertently registered to vote in Illinois. We do not know that, we do know that some of them voted in 2018. He surmised that many have been legal citizens, some may have been legal citizens who incorrectly filled out the state form to vote. Yeah, whatever. Although it appears much of not all the problem is that Illinois permits non-citizens to obtain driver's license. Democrat Secretary of State Jesse White office acknowledged the mistake in a letter to the State Board of Elections on December 18th. Spokesman Henry Hopp of White office stated, for whatever reason, the technology's programmed error did not remove, properly remove the individuals. The individuals who are applying for driver's license were inadvertently pulled into automatic voter registration. You guys pushed for motor voter ages ago. This was an isolated case that impacted less than one-tenth of one percent of a person's uh, people registered through automatic voter registration. As soon as a program error was discovered, it was fixed. The Macon County Sheriff race was decided by one vote. The News Gazette reported in December 2018, a Decatur man who was told he lost his bid to become Macon County Sheriff by one vote is asking a judge to review the election result and hope it would be declared the winner. Republican Jim Roop filed suit Wednesday in Macon County Circuit Court against Democrat Tony Chubby Brown because he won the election. So you have California wholesale doing it. You have New York, New Jersey doing it. They know what they're doing. I will guarantee, and, and you're going to say, well, Trump said the same thing. I bet there's 100,000 on the West Coast, illegals voting. Because they believe they should be able to vote. They don't see them as non-citizens. They see them as citizens. And it's a voter plan. That's all they're doing. Democrats, by any means necessary, because they think this country is a steaming pile of shit, they think all Republicans are racist, Nazi, fucking fascist, they believe, well, this is right for democracy. Let these people vote. And we win the election, and we'll better everybody, and we'll tell them what to eat, how to live, what to drive, how much electricity to have, who to fuck. 
That's the Democratic Party. It used to be the Republican Party telling you if you didn't believe in God, you're going to fucking hell. And then the minor, based on reality, hey, these terrorists are bad guys. That's what they used. And they were the fucking pieces of shit on the planet. Now, the left, Salon's Marcotte, impeachment defense full of lying white dude villains. Marcotte Salon, political writer, composed another vitriolic piece against Trump and his voters, and then proceeded to excoriate them for feeling abused by the media. Specifically, her premise was that Trump's so clearly guilty that all this white dude lawyers can do is gaslight the public and hope that Fox News fills in for the rest, she wrote. His guilt is such that even the bevy of miscreants tasked with deceiving the public about the depths of Trump's corruption cannot muster anything resembling an actual defense of Trump's impeachment offenses. Sure, though. Remember, Mark Hutt's the kind of partisan who hates Trump so much that his existence actually ruined her last Christmas. For her, Trump is the devil and anyone in his corner is devil's helper. She described the legal team tactics as claiming that the victims are real villains and the villains are the real victims. Marcotte's venom continued with her arguing that only tactic that Trump's lawyer Pat Chipola and Jay Sekulow have appealing to the perceived victimhood of white conservatives. Sekulow and Chipola have clearly decided to take a page out of Trump's book and spend their time whining and declaring that the president is being unfairly singled out. Trump's supposed persecution is, of course, to be seen as part of a larger war on the most oppressed people of all time, white people, who simply want to impose minority rule on the entire nation with little or no resistance. I mean, this is the person that said that fucking, you know, saying Merry Christmas is really saying fuck you. Yeah. WAPO. Imagine a criminal trial in which half the jury was friends with the accused. The accused could ignore subpoenas and if evidence emerged after the indictment, it wasn't admissible. Somebody's response, if it is a criminal trial, please list the criminal statutes he violated. Imagine a criminal trial. It isn't a criminal trial. Same person. Two different articles. Paul Begala Adam Schiff is masterful, masterful, sweeping yet specific, eloquent yet clear, relentless recitation of damning facts, but with a tone more of sadness and anger, rooted in our deepest traditions, opening with Alexander Hamilton, yet as current as Trump's latest tweet. Brilliant. Jennifer Rubin, this is the most brilliant legal presentation I've ever heard. See what I'm saying? If you're a media member... Because they're all Dems. This is the greatest thing ever. Matt Laszlo. Reporters aren't sheep. View from the print radio reporter press pen to the photographer's pen just off the Senate floor. They've severely restricted our access during the impeachment proceedings. People said, oh, you poor thing. And then as this goes on, everybody's trying to cash in. Amazon, one of the biggest criticizers of Trump, flooded with Trump impeachment-related material. From breath freshening impeachments and national embarrassments to anti-Trump scented calendars and candles and shirts, Amazon appears to be making money from the hatred of the current president. Sellers, vendors, authors, and agencies can pay Amazon to have their products prominently featured on the platform. One such sponsored product featured by Amazon was the impeachment scented calendar. Candle. The candle supposedly offers a flicker of hope for when you need it. It's also featuring a spinner with ideas for actual small steps you could take towards making America great again, but you know, for real this time. 
One small step suggested is calling a member of Congress and donating to a worthy political candidate. In fact, if you haven't brought this can bought this candle yet, maybe you use the money to make a political contribution instead. Wicked Truth Candle Company made a similar product with the impeach impeachment. They separated it. Candles. The product description reads like a humorous political satire of liberalism. It says the candles are made from soy and other ingredients and hand-poured in East Hampton, Massachusetts, by women artisans or former refugees. So you got a sweatshop. They're also impeachment-related books. Impeach the case against... Donald Trump by Neil Cattile and Sam Koppelman, the impeachment report, the House Intelligence Committee report by the House Intelligence Committee introduced by John Meacham. Of course, he was there. Judiciary Committee report on the impeachment of Donald Trump by Judiciary Committee by Gerald, uh, Gerald Nadler are also listed as sponsored products. The impeachment bomb, a lip bomb from the Unemployed Philosophers Guild, another product sold on Amazon, said in its description that more and more people are asking for the welcome relief of impeachment Demand impeachment. Apply liberally. During it, YouTube stops impeachment trial live streams for conservatives. Two conservative outlets have complained that the live stream was taken down. Judicial Watch Tom Fitton noted the organization's live stream of the impeachment trial was halted midstream. YouTube claimed the stream was violating community standards, according to Fitton's tweet. While the stream still remains a Judicial Watch feed, it was not allowed to continue. Right Side Broadcast Network was also ceased. They weren't allowed to broadcast it, yet everybody else on the planet, it was. So, to the point, we've had nothing but every possible thing, Google, Microsoft, the world, pushing for it. And CNN, as we go out to a music break, was all the fuck in. Uh, I just have to ask you about what's going on inside the chamber because the cameras can't see the senators. Yeah. There's a, a report that that there are a lot of empty seats, particularly uh-huh. on the Republican side. You've been sitting there. Well, you've been watching. Have there been empty I seats? Guess. When you look around the room, are your Republican colleagues and your Democratic colleagues listening? Are they focusing? Are they trying to take in what's being presented to them? Before you go, there's been various reports from some of the press, you know, who are in the pen there, uh, you know, that some of the chairs are empty, people are sort of in the back talking or eating. Um, my, my, my question to you is, is everyone in that room paying attention? I mean, it's understandable people may want to get up and go get something to drink or something like that, but do you feel that people are taking this with the, the sincerity and the seriousness that it deserves? But a, a, a notable number of senators not in their seats uh, for, for long stretches has been reported, and I just wonder no. if you feel that, that the body is living up to the moment uh, on both sides of the aisle, that there's the level of attentiveness uh, and seriousness that you, you'd like to see. To defend them. And our side, I didn't see that. I think it was a two and a half hour opening, very well done. So you see people, you know, leave to go to the restroom. People maybe leave to uh, drink a cup of coffee or something like that. Um, and so they come back. Uh, everyone's been coming back. And for the most part, it is like 95% filled at any one time. So I just didn't see that. I certainly am. And I'm taking notes. And uh, 
I would think that, uh, I do think that most of my colleagues are doing that, but I, I also think that for the Republicans to hear what the president did is probably a very painful experience. Um, well, you know, I've rarely seen more than 10 members out of their seats at a given time, and we've had all members there for most of the time. The attentiveness that most impresses me is the one I mentioned before, or that I think might have the greatest impact, that a lot of our Republican colleagues who have never heard the whole story, have never heard a narrative and have gotten so much of their news from Fox News, which is so deliberately biased and leaves out most of the major facts, um, is really indicative. So, no, I think the room is a very, very hmm. positive. And, and a very quick thing on Hunter Biden. I think George is right. Look, if you if you don't like Joe Biden, you could certainly ask the question, how did the Obama administration let Joe Biden be in charge of the Ukraine portfolio when his son had that job? That's a fair question. You about, can ask about, that even if you like Joe yeah, Biden. About, you can like that, yeah. The, uh, if you can raise the question, is that a conflict of interest or is that the right way to do business? That, that's fine. It's not germane to the issue of impeachment against the president now. And I, I would just say this, and I've said it before, but the Republicans were in charge of the House from 2013 to 2019. They were not shy about using their oversight authority. They were not. The Republicans have been in charge of the Senate from 2015 until today. If they want to call Hunter Biden in for some oversight hearing, they had the right in the House for six years and they didn't right. do it. And they have the right in the Senate right now. But do that's it. because in order to defend the president's yeah. conduct, a lot of these individuals, since they are not willing to say, look, what the president did was wrong. I just don't think it's impeachable. I just right. don't think he should rise to the level. They're not willing to say that for whatever reason. They have to create this alternate reality. It's this confetti. alternate reality they just confetti where President Trump you. is truly concerned about corruption, even though this is the only instance that we know of where he has ever asked about corruption, even though in the transcript of the call, the rough transcript, the word corruption does not come up. You have to create this alternate reality, and that's one of the things we see from these. Let me just say this. I thought the Democrats were very smart today, in this first day. They went for substance right in the opening statement. They didn't go to process. They talked. They laid out the case behind the whole effort. And at night, which is probably going to get the, one of the biggest audiences, first time the, the senators have heard all of that. And I thought they were very smart to go for that and for the witnesses. They've created a situation now that it's just going to be a hard call. If you call, if the Republicans now vote to call witnesses, they're voting for the unpredictable. But if they don't go for witnesses, they got 70% of the country who thinks they're wrong. That's not a very good choice. And Elliot, there, to David's point uh, about what the Democrats are doing, there's a reason Chuck Schumer didn't agree, uh, besides animosity, uh, <laughs> to to not just kind of lump all these requests in at once and just get it over with. They want to play it out person by person. Yes. Mick Mulvaney, these two witnesses, Bolton, uh, and they want to get details about the documents that they want from different agencies. And that's what they've been doing. They've been using this time to talk about specific so it's not just as adam schiff was saying you know thousands of documents kind of a generic documents it's actually specific things these are why we need this particular document right and put each of the 53 senate republicans on the record saying that they don't want the documents yeah and i think i actually agree with what you're saying in terms of how political this is you're making the same point as well that's what this is this is about politics they're not going to find the president guilty and remove him from office that's not going to happen so what does Chuck Schumer have to do to try to win the Senate? And so the idea that this is solemn and somber and this is about all the evidence and they're really sticking to the facts, I think that's a great tactical thing for them politically to do to try and look above politics. But the reality is this is about politics. This is a political trial. The majority in the House ran it through politically. The majority in the Senate is going to stop it politically. 
and the Democrats politically are trying to win back the Senate. And, oh. and the good thing is the public actually knows that at this point. They've seen enough of this now. These are, there's nothing new. The arguments are literally the exact same things we've been hearing over and over and over again from all these managers on both sides. One of the things uh, that's so notable here is the trial experience of not only Lof- Lofgren, uh, but also shift very much on display here, right? You saw them with uh, testimony from the House trial, uh, raising what Fiona Hill said, uh, raising what Vindman said, and essentially saying, listen, don't you want to fill in the dots? Not only the folks who were there that they're talking to, those hundred senators, but also the American public. And it's interesting the way they are able to tell, I think, a pretty compelling story the same story we heard in the House. I don't want to sound like a partisan, but the Democrats have been so much better. It's not even uh, even a close comparison as far as as far as I can tell. You know, Adam Schiff knows the facts. You know, that that is something that you can't you can't uh, fake. I mean, you know, a lot of what he's doing is off the cuff, is responding to the arguments. But, you know, I think. Adam Schiff, um, you know, is just in charge of the, you know, he's acting like a lead prosecutor. And, and I think um, Congressman Lofgren, Congresswoman Lofgren, while not as theatrical a performer, you know, she had a very good argument to make. And I thought she made it very effectively. Do you think that Adam Schiff is the right person, regardless of his command of the facts, I'm talking about the politics of it, to go after and win over these six, uh, six senators in the middle? I think that because he is, actually because he does know the facts and because he is an effective orator and he is effective at making this presentation and he really does come across that he truly believes in what he's saying. I thought it was devastating for the president of the United States, both short term and long term. Short term, uh, there was a narrative told today uninterrupted by shirt sleeve Jim Jordan or anybody else of a grievous abuse of power soliciting a foreign power to interfere in the election of, uh, in the United States and then a massive cover-up, all of which was demonstrated fact after fact after fact, and these senators had to listen to it. Meanwhile, you also have the Chief Justice of the United States who is going to hear many cases and assertions by Donald Trump and some of these same lawyers who lied today. And I think in the long run... The Supreme Court of the United States, led by this chief justice, might be really offended by the conduct that they are hearing and witnessing today. Uh, Robert Caro called Lyndon Johnson master of the Senate. And many people who looked at Mitch McConnell, the way he handled the Merrick Garland matter, mm-hmm. preventing President Obama from his nominee from even being considered by the Senate, thought that he had actually managed to figure out how to control the Senate. Today we see a much weaker Mitch McConnell. Mitch McConnell assumed yesterday that he had all the votes he needed for his resolution. But what they signal is Mitch McConnell misreading his caucus. He thought he had them. He would have never circulated that last night. They would have never leaked it to the press if he didn't have the votes. Well, I think, you know, it, it's worth going back to 1999 and comparing it because it's almost the opposite in, in my mind. Hmm. I think in 1999, the House impeachment managers did a pretty good job, but they came off as very political. And I think, you know, Chuck Ruff, the White House counsel, David Kendall, the president's personal attorney, and all of the lawyers there uh, won the day. If I'd been in the White House today, I'd be underneath my desk in the fetal position. That's how... I thought it was dazzling. I thought the way he wove through uh, both the facts of the case and the historical context was really remarkable. It was the second best 
uh, courtroom address, since it's like a courtroom, uh, that I ever heard after uh, a prosecutor named Jonathan Benedict in the Michael Skakel case in, in Connecticut was the best I ever heard, and it's still the best. But that was, you, when you consider the volume of information he covered, using the video, as I think Jake, Jake mentioned earlier, um, the, the, you know, the witness testimony, uh, the documents, uh, it's it's very persuasive stuff, and you know if people are listening, it's very hard to imagine that they will think that the Democrats and the House managers are you know, just making this up. I mean the the argument that the president um, extorted or bribed or whatever criminal term you want to use the president of Ukraine to get his political dirt on on jo on Joe Biden in return for our the 390 million dollars of taxpayer money i mean it's there if you want to see it and the question is if you want to see it it's been nothing but turbulence for Adam Schiff for these past months. I now recognize myself to give an opening statement in the impeachment inquiry into Donald J. Trump, the 45th president of the United States. It's, of course, much more intense now than ever before. He should resign from office in disgrace. And frankly, they should look at him for treason. Shifty Schiff. Anyone not living under a rock knows that Schiff is one of President Trump's favorite Twitter targets. I can't even keep up with the president's Twitter attacks on me. My staff has stopped sending them to me. They're too numerous. You don't follow him on Twitter? I don't follow him, no. No. Um, I, I have more important things to do. Like make the case against Trump in the Senate trial. But just months ago, Schiff was in the camp that believed impeachment was not a good idea. So what changed his mind? What made this a necessity for me and so many of my colleagues is that if the president believes that he can abuse his office, the power of that office, he can fail to defend our national security, and there is no accountability, even if the accountability is only in the House, that's too dangerous a prospect to persist. Schiff came to Congress from his Los Angeles County District almost 20 years ago. Ready to win an election? A moderate Democrat who beat the Republican incumbent, a leader of the impeachment fight against Bill Clinton. How's that for irony? Mr. Rogan's priority has always been uh, in engaging in these uh, national partisan ideological crusades uh, and ignoring the business at home in the district. Uh, and I don't think people value that. Before Congress, Schiff served in the California State Senate, but his greatest impact came as an assistant U.S. attorney when he prosecuted an FBI agent for selling secrets to the Russians. Well, it does feel at times like my life has come full circle. From a major role in the Republican-led 2014 Benghazi investigation to becoming chairman of the Intelligence Committee this year to leading the charge against Donald Trump. People don't understand about Adam or, uh, is that he wanted to go on the intelligence committee for two principal reasons. Number one, it was bipartisan, and number two, it was quiet. And so I often say to him, "How'd that work out for you, buddy?"
poking at the media bubbles, one podcast at a time. Here's Tony Reed. It's also my privilege to represent the President of the United States before this chamber. Senator Schumer said earlier today that the eyes of the founders are on these proceedings. Indeed, that's true. But it is the heart of the Constitution that governs these proceedings. And what we just heard from Manager Schiff, courts have no role, privileges don't apply, what happened in the past, we should just ignore. In fact, Manager Schiff just said, try to summarize my colleague's defense of the President. He said, not in those words, of course, which is not the first time Mr. Schiff has put words into transcripts that did not exist. Mr. Schiff also talked about a trifecta. I'll give you a trifecta. During the proceedings that took place before the Judiciary Committee, the President was denied the right to cross-examine witnesses. The President was denied the right to access evidence. And the President was denied the right to have counsel present at hearings. That's a trifecta. A trifecta that violates the Constitution of the United States. Mr. Schiff did say the courts really don't have a role in this. Executive privilege, why would that matter? It matters because it's based in the Constitution of the United States. One manager said that it is you that are on trial, the Senate. He also said that, and others did, that you're not capable of abiding by your oath. And then we had the invocation of the ghost of the Mueller report. I know something about that report. It came up empty on the issue of collusion with Russia. There was no obstruction. In fact, the Mueller report, to the contrary of what these managers say today, came to the exact opposite conclusions of what they say. The president was denied rights to cross-examine witnesses, the president to access evidence, the president was denied the right to have counsel at hearing. Sekulow said it all. If you're conservative or middle, it was he's destroying shift. Melanie Zona, Adam Schiff may have mischaracterized a piece of Leb Parna's evidence from last week, according to unredacted document obtained by Politico. From start to finish, he has mischaracterized all sorts of shit. It's what he does. Embellish, including the initial reading, he made things up. Co-workers of alleged whistleblowers say they heard him plotting Trump removal in 2017. Former colleagues of alleged mis-impeachment whistleblower Eric Caramella said they heard is discussing ways to get Trump out of office within the days of inauguration in 2017, according to Real Clear Investigations. The source who spoke to RCI under the condition of an anonymity said Caramella talked about ousting Trump with Sean Misko. Caramella and Misko were holdovers from the Obama administration national security team. According to the sources, Caramella and Misko were reportedly friends were upset about Trump's policy change. From the Obama administration, they were popping off about how they were going to remove Trump from office. No joke. 
They weren't just bent on subverting his agenda. They were plotting to actually have him removed from office. Misco joined House Intelligence Committee Chairman Adam Schiff's staff in July, one day after Trump's infamous call with the Ukrainian president. There you go. It's there. Judicial Watch is now suing State Department for records tied to alleged monitoring of Trump family and journalists by Ambassador Marie Yanukovych. That was illegal, but, you know, we don't care. Katie Pavlish, Schiff now arguing that we can't wait for 2020 presidential election because it cannot be determined the vote will be taken fairly taken. Sounds more like unless a Democrat wins. Schiff believes the election will be stolen by, again, Russians, which didn't happen in 2016. Mark Meadows, Adam Schiff keeps re- repeating statements from people like Gordon Sondland and George Kent who admit they either base their testimony on third or fourth hand accounts or have zero knowledge at all. Someone needs to remind Schiff a few assumptions put together does not equal a fact. Another person, every time House Speaker or House Democrat reference Gordon Sondland, all of them should immediately be asked. Why are you using the testimony of someone who admitted he had zero evidence other than his own presumption? Adam Schiff has mentioned Sunland's testimony a lot today. So what did Sunland say? No quid pro quo. That's what he said. So what are we basing this on? Does anybody know? Because I don't know. I don't I don't even I, I literally don't know what the fuck this is about. Cause it clearly isn't about the law. Here are some GOP statements. They had their chance to make their case and they brought in witness after witness. They didn't bring in all of our witnesses. We had a long list. And, and, of course, people like the whistleblower, Hunter Biden, are people we wanted to bring. We were denied that. But their own star witnesses, when under oath were asked, uh, can you name a single impeachable offense? Not one. Was there any bribery? No. And so now it goes over to the Senate, and all of a sudden, after a rigged process in the House, they're going to want to call for a fair trial and call for more witnesses because they didn't do their job in the House. It's not the Senate's job to mop up the mess of the House. We've seen one motion after the other after the other. They've been redundant. They've been making the same arguments. This seems to be a time for Adam Schiff and the House managers to lecture the American people and to attack the president. But, you know, there's an old saying that if you have the facts, you bang the facts. If you have the law, you bang the law. If you don't have either, you bang the table. Well, this afternoon we've seen a whole lot of table banging. And at the end of the day, we're in the same spot we were in when we began the day, which is the House articles of impeachment that were passed on a partisan basis. They don't meet the constitutional standard. And that's why the end of this process, after a fair proceeding, after hearing the arguments of the House managers, after hearing the arguments of the president, the end of this proceeding is going to be an acquittal because the House managers still can't meet the constitutional threshold. I mean, the fact is they had their chance. They didn't get anything. So they went with some lame shit because they just wanted to get them stained. And now they're just trying to make it happen, hoping that somehow they can come up with something. They could get senators to have to. Or more apt, they're just doing it to clog everything up for the election. But as the soundbites show, it, it kind of hurts their candidates more 
Because I truly believe, I, I know nobody who's watching this. I mean, for all intents and purposes, you knew he was going to be impeached in the House, and you knew he was not in the Senate, unless they found something real. But if you've been investigating for three years, and all you could come up with a fucking phone call that somebody third party heard it, and obstruction of Congress, hey, motherfucking Holder obstructed Congress. He was held in contempt. Nothing happened. So the previous administration already showed that's just horseshit. Then the NRSC put this out, and I think it's a good way to end our impeachment coverage. They never wanted him to be president. They never even thought it was possible. This isn't a real presidential run. Trump will not be president. He will never be president. But then... A complete earthquake. Donald Trump wins the presidency. And when President Trump was sworn in as the 45th president of the United States, the left lost it. This impeachment sham started the day he was elected. The first headline in the Washington Post before the president was inaugurated was they were going to impeach him. I will fight until he is impeached. I'm concerned that if we don't impeach this president, he will get reelected. This is about preventing a potentially disastrous outcome from occurring next year. They're impeaching me. You know why? Because they want to win an election. And that's the only way they can do it. So let's be clear. This is not from neutral judgment that Democrats came to reluctantly. It's not some somber moment or serious exercise for the left. It is the predetermined end of a partisan crusade. Nancy Pelosi has said she's not going to send the articles of impeachment over... Wait a minute. It's not very serious if you're not sending over the articles. We're handing out souvenir impeachment pens. The Congress is wasting a lot of their time and our time. I've been a Democrat for 49 years. I'm very disappointed in the Democratic Party right now. They are trying to prevent President Trump from winning a second term. An angry mob is at the gate. But the United States Senate has the watch. The Senate exists for moments like this. So it's time for the adults in the room to have their seat at the table. Nancy Pelosi and House Democrats have had their turn. The sham is over. A fair trial starts now. I mean, be objective for 10 seconds. Is anything in there false? I mean, this is... If Chuck Todd was Russert, Tim Russert, God rest his soul, an objective person, he'd be like, well, you know, this started November 9th. Is, are we just doing this to do it? That's what he, the question would come out of his mouth. Whereas, you know, Chuck Todd, it's the total opposite now. You know, he's like, well, why aren't they making it harder for them motherfuckers? <laughs> I mean, I truly, 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 truly believe it's helping Trump. It goes back to me waxing poetic about Bush. And by 2004, it was just too much. They'd gone too far. And people said they'd have a beer with Bush. As a politician, political person... 
If somebody says that, that's not good. If they want to have beer with the person, that means they actually like that person or they feel for that person. And with Trump, you've gone, as the commercial says, you just lost it. It's been riots. It's been investigation. It's been attacking the voters. It has been over the top. And I think the fatigue is more than just impeachment. The fatigue is liberals. America is getting tired of their stupid shit. And really, if you look at our media, it's affecting them for ratings and newspaper prescriptions. You know, I used to be able to fucking read quite a few articles for WAPO would stop you. But people are getting rid of their shit. They've gotten them so fired up, there's people out there who think they're too conservative. And we've covered all the headline changed. And then New York Times does this shit. Incoherent gimmick, New York Times endorses two liberal presidents, two liberal feminists for president. And remember, you've never seen a conservative ever by any of our media. Really think of your lifetime. They've never endorsed a conservative. Ever. So this is not surprising. Recording all their interviews with the candidates, transcripts, and ending in one-hour episode of their show, The Weekly, on FX Cable Network, they have announced a weird gimmicky result. They would endorse two candidates, Klobuchar and Warren. Klobuchar has no chance. Warren's not going to get it. The editorial took over two entire pages of Monday's paper. What made it funnier was the notion that Klobuchar represents the realist wing of the Democrats and Warren the radical wing when the American conservative unit voting scores are nearly identical. Granted, Warren's proposal to the campaign are more radical. This was the pull, full quote. In 2020, both the radical and realist models warrant serious consideration. If there was ever a time to be open to new ideas, it is now. If there was ever a time to seek stability, now is it. Really. New York Times isn't firing missiles and is escalating culture war and doesn't favor judiciary stacked with ideologues. Look again at who they just endorsed. Senator Warren is a gifted storyteller. She speaks elegantly of how the economic system is rigged against all but the wealthiest Americans. Her campaign plan is general, demonstrate a serious approach to policymaking that some of other candidates lack. Yeah, she's a good storyteller. She's like your uncle, who was a crop duster, World War II flying ace. And he never left the state of Iowa. Because she lies. Klobuchar, the senator from Minnesota's very definition of Midwestern charisma, grit, and stick to Her vision goes beyond the incremental. Given the polarization of Washington beyond the best chance to enact many progressive plans, could be under a Klobuchar administration. Jim Garrity. New York Times editorial board member Mara Gay, an endorsement isn't about supporting a candidate necessary. She was on Morning Joe, talked about the decision to endorse two candidates. I think, first of all, again, this is an acknowledgement that there's more than one pathway forward. But I also want to say that this was about respecting the voters. No one has actually cast a ballot in the election yet, and so let's let this play out. Excuse me. However, we did have to narrow the field. And we really do believe these two senators, in this case, happen to be two women in the field who are left. Uh, 
are the best to do that. An endorsement isn't about supporting a candidate necessary. It's more about educating voters and helping them make the best decision based on their own beliefs. That respect for voters did inform this process. Well, if that's the case, then why don't you ever endorse a conservative voter? Candidate, excuse me. If it's about educating the voters, well, you'd have spreads on every candidate. This isn't about educating the voter. It's about re-educating the voter. If you're not voting for these people, you're horrible and a sexist. Simultaneously, when they did this, they ran out front page, women stripped of rights by Trump still won't vote for women. Let's, let's dig into this. On the front page Saturday's New York Times reporter Lisa Lehrer wondered why so many women were reluctant to vote for a woman to run for president. And taking feminism to heart, it's not to the caucuses, beating Trump matter more than electing women to some. As if often the case, unfettered abortion rights was a priority always exactly three years ago. Almost exactly three years ago, Leela Schenker marveled at the crowds of Women's March in Des Moines, which drew more than 26,000 people to the grounds of the state capitol, a reminder of a large social protest of the 60s. Her daughter, now a mother herself, used to roll her eyes when her mom would talk about the importance of fighting for issues like abortion rights and equal pay. But Mrs. Sheckler has seen how the current political movement has convinced her daughter that her rights could be taken away and that sexism remains a force in both of their lives. And she's watched in horror as the Trump administration has worked to roll back funding for clinics specializing in reproductive health care. Abortion. The field she worked in for more than a quarter of a century. The punchline, she supports Pete Budlick. Jesus Christ. The press may be con- contradicting itself on the challenge posed by sexism, given their own understanding that Hillary Clinton would have won if not for Russiagate. Some voters are back... Either Miss Warren or Senator Amy Cornbuchar of Minnesota bristled at the idea that they might support them because of they are women, even as many acknowledge a greater awareness of sexism women candidates face. All the marches, protests, and public discussion of gender gaps, double blinds, and sexual harassment seem to have led some voters to perhaps surprise them the conclusion. This is not our time. Lear most, mostly gave purported Democratic feminists a pass for accusing others, never themselves, of harboring sexism. Female voters were grappling with contradictory ideas. They thought the women were better equipped to run the country, but worried the country was too sexist to elect them. Some frustrated supporters of Miss Warren argued the concerns about electability had become a self-defeating prophecy for women. As she campaigned in Iowa over the weekend, Miss Klobuchar argued that the sexism faced by women candidates make them tougher opponents against Trump. Lear is quick to blame sexism for the women's self-inflicted political difficulties. Shane Goldmacher and Sidney Amber front-page piece on Thursday also used the sexism excuse. Then there are the worries about her ability to defeat Trump as a liberal Democrat and to overcome the challenge presented by sexism. Electability is an amorphous concept that could be disadvantaged to those who don't fit the mold of all but one past president. White man. Hmm. Simultaneously, uh, the Hollywood Reporter did an interview with Hillary Clinton, and this is what she said. It's really a shame that all the people who support progressive politics and policies haven't understand, understand that that's exactly the right question to ask. 
We do have some well-off people who support Democratic candidates. There's no doubt about that. But they never bought a TV station. They never gobbled up radio stations. They never created newspapers and local communities to put out propaganda. That's all been done not just by Murdoch and Fox, but by Sinclair and by the Koch brothers and by so many others who have played a long game about how we really influence the thinking of America. Her implication is that The media isn't liberal enough. That's how crazy these people are. Just fucking crazy. And as we're saying crazy, in walks Brian Seltzer. Brian Seltzer, you know, there are a hundred different ways to say no comment. Uh, Lately, the Republican senators haven't even been saying it. They've just been giving reporters the silent treatment. Case in point, Senator Cory Gardner of Colorado, who may be a key vote in the impeachment trial. A local station KUSA in Denver says Gardner has been a very tough man to reach. Senator Gardner has avoided our impeachment questions for months. He's been ducking other journalists, too. So tonight, we caught up with Gardner at the airport after he flew back from Washington. Walk and talk on a moving walkway at Denver International. And Gardner didn't really say much, but props to this news crew for the effort. Other senators have been trying different tactics to avoid scrutiny, like Senator Martha McSally's cheap shot at CNN's Manu Raju earlier this week. She then leveraged her insult through primetime appearances on Fox and fundraising efforts, which kind of seemed like the point all along. It seems like media bashing unites the GOP. But does the reluctance to answer questions, does the avoidance of basic questions, does it explain why there are new restrictions being put in place on Capitol Hill in time for the impeachment trial? Joining me to discuss that and more, L.A. Times congressional reporter Sarah Weyer and Joe Lockhart, White House press secretary in the Clinton years, now CNN political commentator. Uh, commentator. Sarah, you're the chair of the Standing Committee of Correspondence in D.C. representing print reporters on Capitol Hill. What restrictions have been put in place and, and what are you doing about them? So reporters' access is going to be limited for about 15 minutes uh, before and after the trial will be uh, kept in pens. Uh, And then about 30 minutes before the trial, uh, we won't be able to walk and talk with senators anymore. And uh, if you've been on Capitol Hill, that's kind of the bread and butter. That's how we get the majority of interaction with senators. Uh, So we've got a lot of concerns about those restrictions. uh, But we're also extremely concerned about the uh, placement of a magnetometer that's going to uh, search members of the press as they walk in and out of the Senate chamber. Mm. Uh, That's something that's never been in place before, and it could make it really inconvenient and uh, pretty much impossible to cover the trial from within the chamber itself. And that's really important because the the Senate controls the cameras that people are watching. There are no photographers allowed in the chamber, and, you know, the American public deserves to have an eyewitness in there, being able to uh, give them an unfiltered view of what's happening. Yeah, let's break it down piece by piece. A lot of people don't realize that the cameras in the House and the Senate are controlled by the House and the Senate, right? So when you see it on C-SPAN or you see it on CNN, these are not our editorial controlled cameras. We are only seeing what the Senate wants us to see. And C-SPAN and the other networks are trying to fight that. But right now, it looks like we're only going to get the Senate view of this trial. And then with regards to access in the hallways, is there anything you can do at this point to, to... uh, to make make it more free and make you all be able to roam more freely? There's a lot of conversations that are still happening behind the scenes. We're, mm. we're hoping for at least moving some of these press pens so they're in places that the senators walk by more frequently. 
Um, you know, there was a bit of a hubbub on Thursday because police officers were stopping reporters from talking to uh, senators. We've been ensured that that is not going to happen next week. Mm. Uh, that's a major concern because the, the optics of that is not something I'm sure the Senate wants. But um, you know, we're, we're hopeful that some changes are going to be made and some flexibility might come in the coming days. Mm, but we have okay. no official guidance. Yeah, between now and Tuesday. Joe, yeah. what do you think is going on? You, you have some familiarity with the impeachment process. Do you think this is an attempt to avoid uh, tough questioning from reporters, or is this actually just about security? Oh, I don't think it has anything to do with security. There's nothing that's going to be happening in the Senate that changes the security dynamic from, you know, last week to this week. Uh, the chief, the only new... Um, person is the chief justice he has adequate security mm. this is about mitch mcconnell and republican senators trying to control the flow of information um, the ability to turn that camera off the ability to turn it away from you know if there's an argument that breaks out on the senate floor it's why you need someone in there and able to go and file their story they can't do it from the senate floor um, so it is it is about trying to control information and limit the ability of reporters to see what actually happens. Yeah, these moments that we're seeing in the hallways, these are vital as well. These are some examples of, of Manu Raju, but others, other reporters are this as well. What do you think McSally was thinking when she called Raju a liberal hack, knowing that Raju is one of the most respected members of the press corps? Yeah, it's a strategy on her part. Um, all of these vulnerable Republican senators are, are in a box, which is independents, conservative Democrats are looking for them to show some independence from the president. Uh, Trump voters, you know, which make up 35 to 40 percent of the electorate in, in uh, Iowa, in Colorado, in Arizona, are looking for absolute loyalty to the president. So what Martha McSally did last week and used Manu Raju as a prop in it was make her choice. She's going to be with the mm -hmm. president. And in one of the ways you're with the president is by criticizing the media putting out misinformation, at attacking, and doing exactly what she did. Now, she's going to have to face the consequences of it. She was ready with uh, fundraising material, but uh, having talked to Mark Kelly, who's running against her and running ahead of her in the polls, he also told me that he had his best day, you know, of fundraising in a long time. So it goes, so both, it goes both ways. Hmm. And it's just, it, it represents the box where the Republican, these Republicans are in. It's hard to see Martha McSally being able to get enough people in the middle when she goes all in with Trump. To, to me, it's also about this broader attempt at media bashing. Media bashing is what unites the modern-day GOP. We see this at the White House as well. It's been 314 days since the last on-camera formal White House briefing. You've been keeping yeah. close tabs on yeah. this. You recently co-signed a letter urging the White House to resume briefings. That's not going to happen, though, is it? Let's be honest. This is working for Trump. Trump likes it without briefings. It's working in one respect. I mean, one of the things you see a lot of now is uh, the Trump officials go on Fox, and then everybody quotes them, you know, from what they say. Stephanie Grisham, Hogan Gidley, uh, Kelly and Conway. I'll I make one exception with Kelly and Conway. She comes on CNN. That's true. She was and on I give week. her credit for that. Um, so in, in a narrow sense, it's working for them. In a broader sense, it's not. Um, one of the things that we wrote in this letter to, to, to the president was having these briefings keeps the government accountable and keeps the government communicating. The messaging around the Iran strike was disastrous because people were just going out every day, not coordinating. There wasn't a briefing at the Pentagon every day, a briefing at the State Department, a briefing in the White House, where you were giving regular information. And it makes the policy process much more honest and much more effective. Right. So I think in the long term, they are hurt 
considerably by this. But there is a short-term, right-in-front-of-you benefit that where they get to launder the news through Fox and OANN and, mm. and, and other conservative outlets. Right. Uh, last word to you, Sarah. I'm just curious, as someone preparing to cover the... I've said it for years. Democrats, come on, Fox. Republicans don't go anywhere else. Half the time, they're not even fucking invited. And when they are, it's just an ambush. Of course, Democrats go on CNN. They get treated like royalty. They don't get hard questions. Fucking Chuck Todd didn't give no hard questions to fucking Hillary Clinton. There were no hard questions. It was fucking softball at the old ballpark. And if this was such a major thing as, well, Manu Raju, another day of overbearing restrictions on reporters during the trial, reporters trying to ask questions to senators and basement being stopped by cops, they go up the escalator. This is not the way Capitol normally operates. Reporters um, can ask questions undeterred in the halls. Please take a moment to pray for these poor, poor journalists that have to get checked by the police. These are dark and trying times for these absolute firefighter heroes. They're always bitching. They don't have enough access. But all you want to do is play gotcha. You don't ask any hard shit on the left. And then when Schumer and Biden act a fool, as we're about to hear, I don't see Seltzer or CNN crying those crocodile tears while clutching their pearls. Well, yesterday, yesterday you said you accepted Bernie's apology, and now you're attacking him. Why are you doing that? Why wasn't his apology enough, Mr. Vice President? Why attack Sanders? Why, 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 you're getting nervous, man. Calm down. It's okay. He apologized for saying that I was corrupt. He didn't say anything about whether or not I was telling the truth about Social Security. Make one final point. The House managers made a very clear and compelling case, not only on the glaring need for evidence, but also on the gravity of the president's offenses. In stark contrast, the White House defense were unprepared, confused, and totally unconvincing. White House counsel resorted to the kind of histrionics you see on Fox News evening broadcasts rather than any sober-minded argument that could persuade thoughtful senators. On multiple occasions, they made discreet and demonstrable factual errors. The president is always loose with the truth, and it seems his lawyers are the same way. Most telling of all, White House counsel were far more preoccupied with making inflammatory and inaccurate statements about House managers than providing an actual defense of the president's conduct. This does not bode well for the president's case if this pattern continues over the course of the trial. In its most forceful push pushback yet, Joe Biden's campaign has issued a warning to the media about disinformation on Ukraine and attacks on his son, Hunter Biden. This morning, the campaign released an open letter ahead of the Senate impeachment trial, writing, it is not sufficient to say the allegations are unsubstantiated or that no evidence has emerged to support them. Not only is there no evidence for Republicans' main argument against the vice president, there is a mountain of evidence that actively debunks it. And it is malpractice to ignore that truth. Joining me now is NBC News correspondent Heidi Presbella and former National Security Council Senior Director Ned Price. So Heidi, what can you tell us about what prompted this open memo? 
Sure, Katie. Two objectives here. First, it is a preemptive strike against the disinformation that is really at the heart of the president's defense. Remember, we are here because he insisted that there may be something corrupt about former Vice President Biden calling for the ouster of a former Ukrainian prosecutor general. Secondly, it is a shot across the bow as this case moves from the House to the Senate and the prospect of senators here and the president's legal team potentially going after Hunter Biden. So this is a reminder, Katie, that the entire premise of the president's argument is debunked. It is not just un, not unsubstantiated. Number one, this corrupt Ukrainian prosecutor, his ouster was a key priority of the entire West, of the EU, of the IMF, and of our own leaders here in the U.S., including Senators Rob Portman and Ron Johnson, Republicans. Number two, that corrupt Ukrainian prosecutor who was aligned with the Kremlin was not investigating Burisma, the energy company, where Hunter Biden had served at the time that Joe Biden called for his ouster. Um, that that investigation was dormant. And then number three, Hunter Biden's service on the board took place two years after the alleged corruption that the Ukrainians were investigating took place. Now, ethics experts I talked to in Ukraine say it was not ethical for Hunter to trade on his father's name and to sit on the board of an energy company when he doesn't really know much about energy. But was it illegal? No. And so even the prosecutor who Rudy Giuliani was trying to push into investigate this said there was nothing there, and it essentially amounted to some kind of a tax violation. But there is significant concern, Katie, that as this case yeah. moves to the Senate, they will go after Hunter. I mean, good googly goo. Folks, that's yelling at a reporter by Biden. That's okay? She called him a liberal hack. That's not yelling. It's like the fifth one of these. And then maybe, CNN, don't hire John Harwood. So personal news, this is my first day at CNN as White House correspondent. He was fired by everybody else. But on CNN, he gets airtime. And just a quick refresher of who John Harwood is. Now, I talked to economic advisors who have served presidents of both parties. They said that you have as much chance of cutting taxes that much without increasing the deficit as you would of flying away from that podium by flapping your arms. A lot of parallels have been uh, offered between yourself and John F. Kennedy, who also made history, came in with a young, attractive family. You give nearly twice as much of a gain in after-tax income to the top 1% as to people in the middle of the income scale. Since you're the champion of Americans living paycheck to paycheck, don't you have that backward? Well, on the other hand, well, you put thing. Marco Rubio up on a debate stage with Hillary Clinton. Right. He looks like a, a schoolboy. Hey, John, you're nonpartisan. What does McCain do to try and uh, bail himself out of this? Is John nonpartisan? I don't know. I'm teasing you. How confident are you that your plan is going to work, and how do you avoid the dangers of being too cocky? We have a president who is not honest who lacks a moral sense, who lacks empathy. As a preacher as well as a politician, you know that presidents need the moral authority to bring the entire country together. The leading Republican candidate, when you look at the average of national polls right now, is Donald Trump. When you look at him, do you see someone with the moral authority to unite the country? 
and somebody who's covered Washington for a long time, this is one of the most ridiculous controversies I've ever seen. And so far as I can tell, the biggest danger to kids in this whole thing is that a lot of the parents complaining aren't smart enough to raise them very effectively. I'll be honest, as a citizen, I'm concerned about the president's state of mind. He did not look well to me in that press conference. I, 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 don't, I don't know what it means, but he did not look well to me. Let's be honest. Is this a comic book version of a presidential ah, campaign? You think Utah, which finished undefeated by defeating Alabama, has a good acclaim as either of those schools to be the national champion? And the Republican state treasurer called one of your approaches to that problem nonsense on a stick. The issue no, was, I've got I another question for Governor Christie. Governor Christie, you've said something that many in your party do not believe, which is that climate change is undeniable, that human activity contributes to it, and you said, quote, the question is, what do we do to deal with it? So what do we do? Well, there's no evidence that they can fix anything in Washington, D.C. What should we do? What we should do is to be investing in all types of energy, John. All types of energy. And I've laid out... Being government? No, John. John, do you want me to answer you want to answer? <laughs> because i got to tell you the truth. Even in New Jersey, what you're doing is called rude. So, uh, and finally, before we go into the VA... Rally, I, I this this got four thousand retweets, and we've seen it with liberal blue checks on Twitter, but we haven't seen it with journalists. This is a journalist, Joe Lockhart, overheard conversation between two Republican senators. That only watch Fox News. Is this stuff real? I haven't heard any of this before. I thought it was all about a server. If half the stuff Schiff is saying is true, we're up Schitt's Creek. Hope the White House is exculpatory evidence. Okay, maybe I made up the convo. But you know that's exactly what they're thinking. Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ. You're just making it up? Oh, wait a minute. It's it's Armenia. And the Virginia rally? We'll start off with Hogg and AOC. But their narrative... You'll see before, during, and after, they weren't bucking off the Nazi white nationalists. The Second Amendment is being used as a right to oppress our First Amendment as children to say that we should be protected, not guns. So, what I'm going to ask you to do is record a video with the hashtag IStandWithVirginia, expressing your support for common sense gun laws in the state of Virginia. Because right now we can't show up because the Second Amendment is being used to actively threaten to kill people, including children. So record your video with hashtag IStandWithVirginia for why you support gun violence prevention legislation in the state of Virginia. Thank you, and fuck Nazis. That the United States was founded on, Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. um, including racism, but also including the protection of capital over Mm -hmm. human beings. Mm -hmm. And... um, you know, another thing that I've been really thinking and sitting with today is that we ha- there's this um, gun rights protest that's right. happening right. down in Richmond. Right. And on MLK Day. On MLK Day. <laughs> but here's the image that has struck with me the most about that, is that when we go out and march for the dignity and the recognition of the lives of people like Freddie Gray mm-hmm. and Eric Garner, mm-hmm. The whole place is surrounded by police in riot gear without a gun in sight. Mm -hmm. And here are all of these people um, flying Confederate flags, 
with semi-automatic weapons, mm -hmm. and there's almost no police officers mm -hmm. at that protest. Mm -hmm. So who are, are in, who or what are our institu institutions protecting right. from who? Right, right. And that image conveys it all, it. conveys it all. I, I want to take you back to your point uh, about organizing, because I think this actually goes... Here's some fucking before, during, and after for this nutbag. VA is a state of emergency because white supremacists and Nazis are using their Second Amendment right to shut down First Amendment rights of students, veterans, and clergy. Like, you care about veterans. Tweet out a video with your support for law that protect kids, not guns. I stand with Virginia. Peace is so powerful that they feel the need to arm themselves against it. Kids are so powerful they feel they need to arm themselves against and kill them. Demand peace is so powerful that they know they can't argue against it, so they arm themselves to distract. AOC. 17-year-old Trayvon Martin was shot on his way home getting some Skittles. You know, there are thousands of white men able to march around openly carrying assault weapons on Capitol grounds. This is not about self-defense. It's about the enforcement of white supremacy. Hotep Jesus. You're white. Using black desk to get Twitter engagement is literally peak White supremacy, isn't that true? NBC reporter deletes tweets warning media avoid mail made up stuff. Remember, we talked about that and we covered it. I wanted to get some more responses. Andy Campbell, the far right will claim that this rally was peaceful because counter protesters didn't show. Just remember that if everything stays peaceful, everyone hope it does. It'll be because nobody shot anybody. The issue with Violence in this country is still the guns and extremism. Benny. No riots, no violence, no targeting of citizens, no attacking cops. Just thousands upon thousands of peaceful, law-abiding citizens gathered in Virginia Capitol to protest an unconstitutional assault on the rights. Show me an Antifa rally like this. That was his response to that tweet. That it just doesn't count. It just doesn't count because we don't want it to count. It's not about what's really happening. It's our fucking narrative. People's responses to this nut job, because the Antifa agitators in their ilk stayed home, you admit that those who rallied and their guns are not, in fact, the problem. That you are admitting to advocates of the rally were peaceful, and it's the counter-protesters have created caused violence. There was no violence because no counter-protesters showed up. Sounds to me like the problem is the counter-protesters. Alyssa Milano, this is what's happening to Virginia right now. Trump's America. And I was going to play it, but it's just people walking peacefully. They're just walking peacefully. Colin Noir says, oh, what? Would you support me in putting together people of color to a rally? Because that was their big thing, white. It's white guys, which will show us horseshit in 10 seconds. Virginia senators and the media, well, they got together and they tried to push this shit, all right? And so did our liberal fucking betters who spent a lot of time online, the Hollywood types. But this article first, ahead of the pro-grun lobby day, demonstrations planned Monday on Commonwealth lawmakers warning Virginians that they are being set up by Democratic Governor Ralph Northam. According to state 
Senator Amanda Chase, whose district includes portions of Richmond area, Northam has laid the groundwork to make the entire movement like, look like an insurrection. I want you to be aware of how we are being set up. Does the Patriot Act ring a bell? Does the National Defense Authorization Act ring a bell? She wrote, if people show up wearing any kind of uniform patch or other symbols on their clothing signifying they belong to a militia or something goes wrong, you could, will be held as a domestic terrorist. If anyone steps out of line, all it takes is one person. It may even be a government plant. If that plant does anything to disrupt the rally, you could and will be arrested. The governor's using the media has already set the stage for this to happen. It will be used to put the rest of the nation on notice of what will happen to you if you resist. To our media, our liberal betters. Um, Hollywood left's usual suspects clamored about the dangers posed to so many armed Americans who none of that seemed to manifest. And the fact that even CNN had to admit that not, no threat of violence ever presented itself. Maybe it all seemed like one big joke. Will and Grace star Deborah Messing contributed her usual vapid hysteria to the conversation. The actress, actress retweeted video of Second Amendment reporters walking through Richmond streets with a melodramatic caption, I'm praying for the citizens of VA. Peace. And another retweet, which referred to the same pro-gun supporters as arm insurrectionists, she called them cowards and lied in news that they were wearing masks and sunglasses. Though Messick should have bothered to check the weather, it was cold as fuck, so they were bundled up. But a lot of liberals went online, look at the masks, look at the masks. Rosanna Arquette tweeted, cowardly men rooting Martin Luther King's birthday with their gun rally. She wrote, today is Martin Luther King's birthday and national holiday. Let not these cowardly masked men with their big guns in Virginia ruin it for the people. I met Dr. King when I was a kid. I'm grateful to my mother for being one of the organizers of Chicago for anti-war march. If only our kit was aware of the irony in her vapid virtue signaling. The gun rally was about fighting for the few of the same rights MLK fought for. Some of the photos from the event, particularly one including a rally goer with a poster that said, armed minorities are harder to oppress illustrate the Rosanna sister actress Patricia Arquette tweeted the same liberal hysteria, mentioning someone's post of armed people today at gun militia rally. Apparently everyone is about above the law these days. Who knew Trump would inspire anarchy? Really? Liz Winstead mocked the peaceful protesters by quipping that the armed attendees look like the sort of enraged pro-lifers that harass women going to abortion clinics. Intersectionality! You know, that pro-choice straw man retweeting a sarcastic post asking men look ready to lobby their legislators totally after they go engage in some peaceful prayer outside an abortion clinic. Yeah, yeah. All conservatives are completely unhit. Conservatives are completely unhinged. Though, despite all their fears, even the liberal hacks over at CNN reported that they rally concluded peacefully. Oh, you don't say. When will these folks understand good people owning guns might be the biggest factor in promoting peace? Leftist activists, celebs, smear pathetic Rambo wannabes with statements like Nazis, impotent amosexuals, with a Klan rally smell. Yeah. David Hogg, we already covered him. Fuck Nazis. Uh, Rosemary, baby actress, the mother to journalists under fire. Ronna Farrow took a break in a routine of fretting about Donald Trump. <clears throat> Pathetic Rambo wannabes armed and masked even as we honor MLK and all he stood for. Alyssa Bellano, we already fucking covered. Westworld actor Jeffrey Wright echoed 
the trumped-up charge that the rally was made of white supremacists. The organizers aren't all at all bothered that the gun circle jerk in Richmond on MLK Day has a Klan smell. Klan smell. What? What? What's a Klan smell? Human rights campaign Charlotte Clymer provide a clinic on irony with her tweet. Nothing says you're proud of the Second Amendment like wearing a face mask and sunglasses that entirely obscure your identity. The entire world. What about Antifa? Anyone? Clymer also added, This is like a comic con, but for mediocre racist white males who never served a single day in uniform and now cosplay with weapons and extraneous camo gear that make those of us who did serve cringe and laugh at them. Yeah. Fear mongering is really what happened prior to this by our media betters. But to the other news this Monday night into that state of emergency in Virginia as thousands gathered for a gun rights rally in Richmond. Weapons were banned from the rally site. People closely screened as they passed through a single entrance. On the other side of the fence, many heavily armed. Amid fears of a repeat of the deadly violence at the Unite the Right rally in Charlottesville in 2017 and the FBI warning about possible violence, Governor Ralph Northam declared a state of emergency banning all weapons from Capitol grounds. Authorities arresting seven alleged white supremacists last week, saying some of them were planning on attending. The massive protests, tens of thousands rallying against new proposed gun control laws at Virginia's capital. It's infringing on every, every right that we have. Police on high alert after the governor declared a state of emergency, saying he feared another Charlottesville. A massive pro-gun rally taking place under a state of emergency and a blanket of security brought thousands of protesters to the state capitol in Virginia today, but none of the violence that officials feared. Virginia's governor had declared a state of emergency, hoping to avoid a repeat of the deadly protests in Charlottesville in 2017. Last week, several suspected white supremacists were arrested. Federal authorities say at least some of them had planned to attend today's rally. Richmond, Virginia is on high alert this morning before a gun rights rally that local authorities fear could turn violent. Ahead of today's event, seven members of the white nationalist group called The Base, which advocates for a race war to create a white ethno state, were arrested across the country. Authorities say some of those people were expected to attend today's rally. State officials say they want to avoid another Charlottesville when a neo-Nazi rally in 2017 ended in the death of a counter-protester. Police are bracing for a pro-gun rally that they fear could turn violent after what authorities say have been credible threats by white supremacists. This time they're not taking any chances. They've banned firearms and knives here, and they've set up a perimeter around the state capitol hoping to prevent any violence. It's now expected to attract white supremacists and anti-government extremists. No doubt officials there have learned some security lessons from Charlottesville in 2017. It's uh, a blow to the First Amendment that um, gun safety advocates don't feel safe participating. Thousands of gun rights activists, white nationalists, militia groups, all swarming the Virginia state capitol. There are a lot of people nervous about what's going to happen. Authorities in Richmond are on high alert. It could be a tense day. It's a polarization. What may happen in Virginia? Several hate groups, supposedly some white nationalists. White nationalists. White nationalists. White nationalists. White nationalist groups. White supremacists. White supremacists. White supremacists. White 
extremist. This entire rally stands in, in opposition to the meaning of this day. Virginia on the edge. How concerned are you that there might be some people in this crowd that may want to get violent? There's certainly a lot of concern here. Raising fears of a dangerous confrontation. It could be violence. And there is real concern there about what the intention is behind this. There's a lot of concern about the potential for violence. Could spark violence. Tensions high in Virginia may cause violence there. North, I'm clearly trying to avoid another Charlottesville. Yeah. In Charlottesville. Could see a repeat of what we saw in 2017 in Charlottesville. Similar to what we saw in Charlottesville. Worrying about a repeat of Charlottesville. Horrible 2017 Charlottesville disaster. You look at what happened in Charlottesville. The two sides clashed in Charlottesville. Men walked through the capital in Virginia carrying weapons of war. Many demonstrators are in fact heavily armed. Heavily, heavily armed. Heavily armed. Look at the gear. What is this all about? Militia groups. Our militia. These militia groups. Far-right militias. Militia. Militia groups. Far-right extremists. 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 Look, those threats which caused the governor to call for a state of emergency have simply not emerged. The police very clear in saying that they have not had a single arrest uh, during this rally. rally happening outside uh, the Virginia State House. This is a scene in Richmond. Our militia, white nationalist groups from all over the country taking part on MLK Day, raising fears of a dangerous confrontation there in Richmond, Virginia. We're going to get a live update from on the ground next. Right now, thousands of gun rights activists, white nationalists, militia groups all swarming the Virginia state capitol in Richmond. Now, the concern is that these militia groups, some of these more extremist groups, and we have seen arrests across the country, at least seven people arrested in the last 24 hours, both here and in the state of Georgia. Authorities are worried that those groups will come into town, and we could see a repeat of what we saw in 2017 in Charlotte. Then I'm going to play two together. Because the media is uncheckable and they know it, you know, Seltzer's not going to check them on their lies. They literally, literally lied. Here is CBS saying that it was a week of violence coming up to this when there's been no violence. And then Gabe Gutierrez, they did the Pledge of Allegiance, and this is him and his recording saying that they were chanting, we will not comply, and the entire world says, it's a Pledge of Allegiance. And then they say, well, he's from NBC, he doesn't know what the Pledge of Allegiance is. Tight security, more than 20,000 show up to protest stricter gun laws in Richmond as police in riot gear turn out in force. The latest on Virginia's showdown over the Second Amendment. Hundreds of police were out in force today as gun rights supporters rallied outside of Virginia's capital. The tightened security came after more than a week of threats and violence and the governor after he declared a state of emergency. Jeff Begay's reports tonight from Richmond. 22,000 gun rights supporters came out today, many armed to the teeth, some dressed in fatigues. Others had handguns on their hips. I carry with me every day. And rifles draped across their chests. You see people that want to stand up and keep their guns because it's our right to do that, defend ourselves in a time of danger. Thomas Steele came here from West Virginia. I actually brought two guns, but um, I brought smaller guns that usually have an AK-47, but that's quite the scary rifle. But uh, I decided to bring up the 22 because nobody's shooting nothing today. 
Governor Ralph Northam declared a state of emergency, which banned all weapons on Capitol building grounds and brought with it extremely tight security. On Capitol grounds, right in there beyond this fence, this is where the state of emergency is, where you can't bring any weapons. But just beyond the fence, a lot of guns. There are probably thousands of them out here, far outnumbering what law enforcement has. The extra security came following the arrest of three members of a white supremacist group threatening to come to the rally to cause a race war. But today's event ended peacefully. Gun control advocates had called for a counter-protest out here today, but in the end, that was called off out of concerns that it could have led to confrontation. So as the day wore on, their whole narrative was falling the fuck apart. Uh, Jane Elgin, let's be clear, the March of Virginia was not peaceful. Just because violence did not ensue doesn't mean the event was peaceful. It altered the freedom of other Americans to go, do, and say as they have the right. Intimidation is not peaceful. I mean, for fuck's sake. Antifa. How much has Antifa done since 2016 to re restrict blm women's march fuck's sake every liberal march restricts other people's freedom but you call that patriotism jared holt uh for your information a lot of these militia folks are violating mass laws here the left is so disappointed that there's no violence they have to sort to fashion critique he's from right wing march and they said it's cold and now do antifa and the law that came out was Portland, Oregon, not Virginia. And it was doused by Democrats. They wouldn't support it, saying there could be no more masks. Tom Nichols. Large group of people are carrying lethal objects in public just to show they can. They have the right to do it. I hope more of them do it. And it's all captured on camera as part of the visual representation of responsible gun owners. And much like CNN and other media firefighter area t experts, Tom Nichols is extremely disappointed that today's gun right rally in Richmond failed to result in violence. So he got to figure out some way to make the marchers evil, apparently settle on the clothing. If the people in Richmond are just real Americans showing their support for Constitution, why are they wearing military gear? Oh, we're moving the goalpost. Some of the Banners, I didn't get a lot of them, but this one. The man behind the sheet wants your guns, and it's a picture of Coonman Northman. Julio Rosas, this was the big, big hit for the left. Here is multiple African Americans speaking at the march. Make a hole, step to the side. <laughs> <laughs> New sheriff. Yeah. Make a 
hole. I'm spending my white, I'm spending my uh, white privilege today. Make a hole, make a hole. Let me get in here. I am Governor Ralph Norton, and I am in blackface today. I do not support in any way, shape, or form Governor Northam's and the Democrats' gun control. What I also don't support is the fact that every news piece you've seen on this this weekend, they've always brought up the issue of race, as though it's nothing but white rednecks and hillbillies out here who care for the Second Amendment. When actually, black Americans, Asian Americans, Hispanic Americans, Americans in general care about the Second Amendment. I work at a gun store part-time, and I can't tell you the number of customers I see of all races, all colors, all creeds who care about the Second Amendment and who just want to peaceably live their lives, enjoy their rights, and the Second Amendment. So that's why I'm out here. And main, big media, mainstream media be damned. If you take a good look at me, you can see I'm a black American. And all I'm out here for is to enjoy my Second Amendment rights. That's why I'm here. Are you a white supremacist? Yeah. Am I a white? I, I was told there'd be this white supremacists. This ain't me. I got dreads. Oh wow, you are. You you really are blackface. Like, <laughs> <laughs> United we stand. Yeah, that's brother. right, brother. Yes, sir. Yeah. United we stand. But they mad because it wasn't no civil unrest. Now they're going to be mad because it wasn't no fight. Now they're going to be mad because then nobody get locked up. They're going to be mad because all the officers is at peace. They're going to be mad because ain't nobody out here fighting. They mad, but guess what? United we stand. That's what this was about. That's right, brother. I'm from St. Louis, and I ain't even had to bring no weapon. Don't need no weapon. Don't none of us need no weapon, but we got them. We got them. We got them. We got each other back. Why? Because United We Stand. That's what it's about. That's right. United Amen. We Stand. That's right, bro. That's right. White, black, Hispanic, Latino, Mexican, whatever. United We Stand. They not finna make this no communist state. They not finna make us no felons. They not finna turn off law enforcement officers against us just because y'all on some nonsense. United We Stand. Oh, so what's your name? My name is Mark. Northern Virginia. Okay, where, where in Northern Virginia? Northern Virginia. Okay, right. all right. Uh, how far did you have to travel today? Um, what, two and a half, two hours. And so why did you think it was important to drive those two and a half hours? Uh, one, I, I love this country. It's about the Second Amendment. It's about our ability to defend ourselves and our loved ones. It's not only a uh, constitutional, constitutional right issue, but it's also a civil right issue. Um, the governor, who's known for blackface and or possibly having a Klan uh, hood on, uh, has the audacity on MLK Day to declare uh, executive order that would prevent people from lawfully protesting. This has been a long-standing rally where people have come and they have protested. And then, on top of that, to insult the injury, um, uh, he wanted to uh, push forth the narrative that uh, white supremacists are stirring up issues. I feel comfortable here. haven't had any issues here. I don't know what the problem is. So it, 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 for me, as an African-American on MLK Day, it's critically important that we preserve the ability to, to defend ourselves and our loved ones. And I will not allow anybody to push a narrative saying that there are racist people at this, these rallies. It's not true. Okay. Uh, now your sign says we will not comply. Absolutely. Just as the sheriff and uh, some of the counties have said, we're not going to uh, enforce uh, laws that are unconstitutional. Um, we will not comply. We will do whatever uh, means necessary. 
legislatively vote people out of office, uh, make sure it goes through the court process, but we're not going to just lay down and allow people to strip us of our, abil our ability to defend ourselves on our own. So that's what we will not comply means for me. Wonderful. Well, thank you so much for thank talking you. with us. Absolutely. Why do you think it's important for women to exercise the Second Amendment, to have the Second Amendment right? Well, I think it's definitely very important, especially for women, because um, it keeps us safe. I, I think that's fundamental when it comes to that. Um, I feel safe, especially with guns. So, yeah. Are you a citizen of Virginia? Yes, yes, I am. So what do you think about the laws that... Governor Northam is trying to instate on the citizens here, red flag gun laws, trying to take away assault-style weapons. What do you think about uh, everything that he's trying to institute? Yeah, I was just talking about my friends um, earlier about this. Um, I think it just starts small, and, like, if we allow this to keep happening, it will progress and progress to the point where um, we won't have our Second Amendment rights, and we'll, we'll be infringed when it comes to the government. So, yeah. <laughs> Okay, one last question for you. What is the message that you're hoping to get across to the rest of America today? Um, I would probably say to not be afraid to express your rights. Um, I know in this political environment, it's definitely hard to voice our opinion nowadays, but, um, I mean, it's our, it's our rights, um, so just express it. And, um, of course, be positive when it comes to it, and every voice is making a difference. So just always think of that. So, yeah. Thank you so much. Yeah. But remember, here's just a short montage on what the media said. This is just white nationalists. Right now, thousands of gun rights activists, white nationalists, militia groups, all swarming the Virginia state capitol. There are a lot of people nervous about what's going to happen. Authorities in Richmond are on high alert. It could be a tense day. It's a polarization, what may happen in Virginia. Several hate groups, supposedly some white nationalists. White nationalists. White nationalists. White nationalists. White nationalist groups. White supremacists. White supremacists. White supremacists. White extremists. This entire rally stands in, in opposition to the meaning of this day. Virginia on the edge. How concerned are you that there might be some people in this crowd that may want to get violent? There's certainly a lot of concern here. Raising fears of a dangerous confrontation. It could be violence. And there is real concern there about what the intention is behind this. There's a lot of concern about the potential for violence. It sparked violence. Tensions high in Virginia may cause violence there. North, I'm clearly trying to avoid another Charlottesville. Yeah. In Charlottesville. could see a repeat of what we saw in 2017 in Charlottesville. Similar to what we saw in Charlottesville. Worrying about a repeat of Charlottesville. Horrible 2017 Charlottesville disaster. You look at what happened in Charlottesville. The two sides clashed in Charlottesville. Men walked through the capital in Virginia carrying weapons of war. Many demonstrators are in fact heavily armed. Heavily, heavily armed. Heavily armed. Look at the gear. What is this all about? Militia groups. Our militia. These militia groups. Far-right militias. Militia. Militia groups. Far-right extremists. 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 Look, those threats which caused the governor to call for a state of emergency have simply not emerged. The police very clear in saying that they have not had a single arrest uh, during this rally. But it wasn't. There were rainbow flags. Gay gun owners were there. There was a whole fucking group. Uh, uh, one blogger went through, I'm not going to read the whole thing. I mean, it was, oh yeah, the women, surely you've seen every Tom, Dick, and Harry on the left claim this was a very manly event for manly men with manly guns. But there's plenty of women there as well, and most of them are carrying signs about how gun rights are women's rights. But they weren't going to put that out on the air. <clears throat> Look at these scary gun people, the horror. No wonder Northam declared a state of mission. The toddler looks a little suspect, don't you think? For all the spinning, complaining, fear-monging, and outright lies... 
by Virginia Democrats. Everybody was here. His thing, the morning I met so many wonderful people smiling at one another, politely moving to the crowd, lots of excuse me, thank you. There was one exceptionally dirty hippie with no coat wandering around with a sign that said, gun laws save lives, you killers. But honestly, I didn't see a whole lot of counter-protesters or scary shooters or bad guys. This is what I saw. Article, minority LGBT community women show up in force of pro-gun rally. Narrative, fail. 22,000 people, uh, Im- Im- images reported were only counter-protesters are attended. Even NBC News was forced to admit that the rally was peaceful and law-abiding gun owners actively, acted lawfully and peacefully in the peace title. A tense Virginia rally, demonstrators rejected extremists, defended law-abiding gun owners. Report comes after a leftist NBC News and where we talked about it, the white nationalists, which started it. Curtis Hoke, montage for me showing how CNN and MSDNC spent their mornings hyping white nationalists. Just played it for you. The rally held a response to Virginia Democratic extremist proposal seeking to destroy the freedom of law by a citizen. They subsequently, on this day, passed the red flag law. And we've already talked about it on the show. That is just for liberals to be able to report to you that you have a gun. For any fucking reason. Ryan Savandra, LGBT community, even came out to support pro-gun Movement, big LGBT flags, numerous, even the tranny one. Another one, I I know a lot of Democrats don't consider guns to be a civil right, but I do, so Miranda Smith, a 25-year-old programmer. I want gay married couples to be able to protect their marijuana plants with guns. That was their sign, which is just fucking classic. Classic. Uh, but in this article, when actually black Americans, Asian Americans, Hispanic Americans, Americans in general care about the Second Amendment. I work a gun store part-time, and I can't tell you the number of customers I see of all races, colors, creeds, care about the Second Amendment, who just peacefully live their lives, enjoys their rights to the Second Amendment. So that's why I'm out here as a big media, mainstream media, be damned. If you take a look, good look at me, you can see that I'm a black American and all I'm out here is for enjoying my Second Amendment rights. And we played that soundbite. Chris Loach played another one that you heard. The MSM told you the Virginia rally in Virginia was really a white supremacist rally that could be draught with violence. I guarantee you won't see this man on MSDNC or CNN. He was, he was legally caring. Trump War Room. I love this country. You heard it. As an African American on MLK Day, it's critically important that we preserve the felon ability to defend ourselves. Steve Guest, why do you think it's important for women to exercise Second Amendment? Richmond's Second Amendment re- really attendee, rally attendee, they misspelled. It's definitely very important, especially for women, because it keeps us safe. I think that's fundamental. Hands down, the worst white supremacist rally I've ever seen. I mean, they let me speak and everything. People shaking my hands and stuff. What would MLK do if he saw all these people judging me by the content of my character instead of the color of my skin? A black lady. Bryson Gray. I'm posting this just in case the media doesn't. And these, the white supremacists, are these the white supremacists they were talking about? David Rothschild. The white men, and they are all white men because non-white men would not be safe in this crowd, are explicitly terrorizing us to demonstrate to lawmakers that will cause more terror as they pass gun safety measures voters wanted and voted them into office to pass. 
That's a person that supposedly was there. Here is Tatia Lavine. That pro-gun rally in Virginia wasn't really peaceful. The threat of violence in Richmond and arrest of neo-Nazis send other groups into hiding. And the cover of it is a picture of a swastika made out of weapons. They pulled that back out again. Not going to read it. Not. Just not. Scott Hankin. And this is after, during. They keep pushing. They, they can't let the narrative fail. In New York, black teenager face a mandatory minimum of 3.5 years and maximum of 15 in prison for simple possession of a firearm. Meanwhile, in Virginia, white people can walk around. I mean, the whole world tried to explain that's the point. There's different law. We need to fucking fix the laws, and it's not the way you want it, which is gun registries and confiscation. Sarah Reese Jones. Racists pretending to care about racism defend gun rights that don't extend to black people. So incensed by their Second Amendment rights, they threatened and fear-mongered away our First Amendment rights. Morgan J. Freeman, not the same guy. This is not what the founders had in mind when they wrote the Second Amendment. This is not my America. No, it's not, because you're not a real American. You don't understand everybody gets to live their lives differently than you, and that's okay. Julie Carey, red flay log, approved 21 to 19, partisan vote. And do people ever wonder why people want to have guns? Well, here's a story the mainstream media completely ignored. Construction worker stabs and kills pro-Trump boss with a trowel, drapes American flag in his body. The family of the victim denies that politics had anything to do with the shocking murder. Police say that a man with anti-government views killed his boss at a construction site and draped his body with the American flag, and some believe it was politically motivated. Mason Trevor Tony, 28, was arrested for the murder of his boss, William Knight, who was also 28 years old. Tony was a longtime friend of Knight, and he had just been hired at a construction job winding a freeway accident in Florida. Witness told police that Tony and Knight got into a heated debate on Monday, possibly over their political differences, and that Tony stabbed Knight to death with construction trial. Afterward, he said he had dra- draped Knight's body with a brand new American flag. Witnesses said they attempted to stop Tony, but he jumped in a company truck and fled the scene while calling them terrorists. He was later apprehended by police. Contrary to some media reports that the killing was politically motivated, a family of Knight said that Tony had been friends, and it wasn't. But you go to his website, and he's an anti-Trumper. And Knight was a pro-Trumper. Why? Where have you been? How many people have been beat down for wearing a fucking hat? And then to close this segment, go to another Cure soundbite. We're doing Cure for music today. And then we're going to go into new social media nuggets. Because we have two soundbites. You're going to hear a shitty soundbite there, and you're going to hear a shitty soundbite here. Here's another, another Bernie organizer. Another. And these are the people that the left wants to vote into office. He's talking about guillotining the rich. I mean, we had to take them out of the street and burn them. Cities are going to burn. 
We just saw this in 2016. They did it. Why do you think people want guns? Why, lefties? It's because of you and your brown shirts. Guillotine the rich. I always said, you know, I'm a communist. I'm ready to start tearing bricks up and start fighting. I'm not. I'm no, no cop, bro. I'm, I'm, I'll start up, I'll start up, get arms. I want to explain how to shoot and go train. I'm ready for the revolution, bro. Guillotine the rich. So, do we just seize, do we just dissolve the Senate, House of Representatives, the Judicial Branch, and have somebody like Bernie Sanders and a cabinet of people make all the decisions for the climate? I mean, I'm serious. Yeah. yeah. What will help is when we send all the Republicans to the re-education. <laughs> Can you imagine Mitch McConnell? Oh, God, he wouldn't survive a day. Lindsey Graham. Legalized or founded as re-education. Right. The first gulag that was open, have you heard about the Bellamore Canal? People came from America to work on the Bellamore Canal for the Soviet project, for the communist project. Wow. And the gulags became a lot more political as they went on. There's a tool. It's like a boogeyman. You know what? We have more people in prison in this country right now than Russia did at the height of the gulag. Breach. We do. It's a, that's enough. That's it's a I only learned this in college when I started studying the Soviet Union. The Soviet Union was not horrible. No. It wasn't. I mean, for women's rights, the Soviet Union is, I think, the most progressive place to date in the world. Leave it to the Soviets to make the most badass, most effective gun in the world. Okay, okay. Engineering, great. The destruction, the destroyer of imperialism and colonization. I mean, everywhere. That's why I want to get it tattooed on me. I'll start up, I'll start up, get arms. I want to explain how to shoot and go train. I'm ready for the revolution, alright?
Welcome back to Flyover Politic Podcast with Tony Reed. But I'm a Trying to get crazy with this scene. Don't you know I'm local? Now it's time for news and social media nuggets. The crazy stuff that makes your host lose his mind. To close out my thought, and I didn't play the soundbite. I fucked up. I forgot to play, I forgot to play the fucking college crazy. We'll play it in a second, but probably works out better this way. Um, what the fuck? I mean, literally step back, and I'm begging if there's liberals that listen to my show, step the fuck back and look at things and think objectively as I really am, because once again, not a Trumper. Don't give a fuck if you want to be a goat, fuck a goat, or kill a goat. It's your world. Live your own life. Don't expect me to embrace it. What would you do if Republicans really were doing this? I mean, the most important thing that I've said on this show, or not important thing, I don't think anything I say is that important, but probably more clear statement I've ever made is that Democrats are perfect at projecting. They project things on their opposition and say their opposition is doing this, this, and this when it's actually them. And they have been talking about fascism since 2016. But they're the fascist. They tell you what you can say, what words are good or not, uh, what you can believe. They restrict your rights on food, driving, I mean, seriously, the list goes on and on and on. You know, one thing I said the other day was, um, in this voter registration shit, you know, they're giving people license plates, and of course they're becoming voters, they fight and demand driver's licenses for illegals, and if you don't want that, you're a xenophobe racist. But then when you say, well, we should have voter ID for everybody, you're a racist. Does that make any sense? It's like circular logic on the Excel spreadsheet again. It doesn't compute. But that's what you do. So you demand all this on everybody. You tell them how they're the lies. You have a media watchdog, which is all the media forcing it. And you have people beating people, burning cities, talking about blowing up the fucking White House. If you wear the wrong political guard, you get the beat down, embarrassed, ran out. Politicians running people out of buildings. You should run people out of buildings. You should accost senators. You said all of this. This is what you said. Over and over. And then videos come out with a major candidate and his people saying, we're going to burn shit down guillotine, the re-education, pull people out of MSDNC and burn the fuckers in a street. And he still has a job. 
They weren't fired. Because that's what they believe. To close the point, here's AOC, a media darling. I just want to drill down that a little bit more. Though. Why specifically does, you know, I'm, I'm Joe Billionaire. I made widgets. I sold those widgets. I made mm-hmm. billions of dollars, you know, yeah. selling those widgets, making those widgets. Therefore, those billions of dollars are right. mine. Why am I the enemy of health Well, you didn't make those widgets, did you? Mm. Because you employed mm. thousands of people and paid mm. them less than a living wage mm. to make those widgets for mm. you. Mm-hmm. You didn't make those widgets. Mm. You sat on a couch mm. while thousands of people were paid modern-day slave wages, mm. and in some cases, real slave, real modern-day slavery, mm. uh, depending on where you are in, our, in, in terms of food production. Mm-hmm. Um, you made that money off, off the backs of undocumented people. Mm-hmm. You made that money off of the backs of um, black and brown people being paid off a living wage, under a living wage. You, mm-hmm. you made that money off of the backs of single mothers. And who, all of these people who are literally dying mm-hmm. because they can't afford to live. Mm-hmm. And so no one ever makes a billion dollars. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You take a billion dollars. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And it's not, and all of that to say is that it's, and I'm not here to to villainize and to say billionaires are inherently morally corrupt. But they are, (laughs) some disagree with me, clearly. Um, I mean, they're, I think there is a case, but um, but it's not it's not to say that it's to say that this system that we live in, life in capitalism, right. always ends in billionaires. Mm-hmm. If you don't do it, someone else will. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It's who decides to make that choice mm-hmm. is kind of just up to you know circumstance. Mm-hmm. But this used to be the party that said abortion should be legal, safe, and infrequent, and were for blue-collar workers. They had these unions that were going to get blue-collar workers, good-paying jobs, and it was the party for the people. And now it's some socialistic backward bullshit. I mean, who the fuck says that that's an American? That you didn't build this Joe the Plumber. It started with Obama. He was a professor, and he could sugarcoat those words and make it sound really good, but it's no different than the vulgar, fuck-the-rich, Pied Piper bullshit that is not what our country's based on. And then one more, and they'll go, then we're, we're letting politics go. Here's Warren getting confronted about their college shit, and it's an honest question. But listen to the reply. So you're going to pay for people who didn't save any money, and those of us that did the right thing get screwed. My buddy had fun, bought a car, went on vacations, I saved my money. He made more than I did. But I worked a double shift, worked extra, my daughter's boss is 10. So you're laughing. 
Yeah, that's exactly what you do. We get the right thing and we get screwed. I mean, that's an honest question. What about the people that paid for their kids? You're going to give them their money back? I mean, let's be honest, folks. I, I Sure, I'm a little butthurt. I, I literally had the opportunity. I never had the opportunity to give my kids my college. I had 30000 but life didn't let me go to college. I couldn't go full-time college. So I never got to use it. And then the Army grandfathered some shit and changed it. You could hand it out, and I missed it. I wasn't in the group that was selected. That's fucked up, but I didn't say... Hey, I should get free college. No, that's just life. Seriously, life. And these are the same people that you go to this college, you're a loser, but you go to this college, you're a good person. Elitist. The same party who then promote candidates that want to make everything free. It's just fucking insanity. So, let's 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 do some... Use social media nuggets and be happy again. Northeastern admin intimidated to mentor minority students because of her racial privilege. The Northwest Northeastern University Assistant Director for Graduate Education published an op-ed affirming offering sorry guidance to professionals like herself who are given the intimidating task of serving as a mentor to an underrepresented minority student as a middle-aged, middle-class white person. At Northeastern, Amanda Cornwall collaborated with Ph.D. students by scheduling one-on-one advising workshops and other events to promote the success of Northeastern graduate students. In an effort to unpack and understand the privilege that she carries, Cornwall provided six key suggestions for counseling minority students, the last one being to mindfully call out the elephant in the room, with elephant here being her so-called privilege. Uh, you are serving as a mentor to underrepresented minority student or not a minority. Be open about your own personality and identity, your awareness of your privilege and how you navigate it. Be vulnerable. I don't pretend my struggles are the same as those of my students or that I know what it's like to grow up as a minority in a society of structural inequality and institutionalized racism. Jesus fucking Christ, you people. Socialist professor. There's just sometimes I just go silent. I don't even know what to fucking say on shit like this. I mean, seriously. That's some tired ass shit. Hi, I'm Tony. I have privilege. You didn't have my privilege. That just sounds racist as fuck. How do you know? Maybe it's one of the fucking Huskables. You know, if I cause me, they're a rich black kid. Just presumption, I'm white and I have a better life than you. That is not true. Socialist professor announces run for Congress in Mississippi. She is everything wrong in college. She's got, uh, like, uh, the guy you spin me eyes around, baby, rise now. Half long, half shaved, bull dyke. That's all I can describe her. She's not going to win. University of Kansas professor indicted for working for Communist Party of China. Associate professor and research at the University of Kansas, Fen Tao, has been charged with two counts of wire fraud and one count of program fraud for not disclosing his work with China. Yeah, that's nice. It's what we know. And with kids coming out this way, how do you not know that there's not some serious socialist communist motherfuckers teaching our kids? Professors donate to Dems over Republicans 95 to 1. 
There is uh, GOP and Democrat donor among U.S. colleges, 12,372 college professors in 31 states, 2,081 donations to Democrats, 22 to Republican. That's just a no-brainer. We know it. UA promotes program only for black, Hispanic, Native American, or LGBTQEIEIO students. University of Alabama recently promoted a specifically targeted professional development opportunity in the name of diversity and inclusion. A Morgan Stanley Bank student professional enhancement opportunity promoted by the University of Alabama is only available for people of color or gay people. Culverhouse College of Business Career Center distributed multiple emails to business students advertising this opportunity. The opportunity entails a one-week paid program at Morgan Stanley's New York City headquarters. Campus reform obtained copies of one of the emails sent. The week will include valuable training as well as opportunities to network with each other and learn from Morgan Stanley professionals across our divisions. Among listed requirements for the program, was one specifying that the applicant be black, Hispanic, Native American, and our LGBT freshman undergraduate student. The program is meant to provide an opportunity to experience Morgan Stanley culture firsthand, specifically for these people. Help diverse college freshmen. That's racist. If you're doing anything that excludes other people, that's racist. But this is the Obama way. You go back to Obama's life or his his campaigns. You went to his website. If you're a white dude, you couldn't get in there. For the second one, they added vet. Yeah. So maybe I could have gotten there. But other than that, no room at the end for you, Pally. Two, our gay shit. Hey, hey. Hey, oh, oh, oh. Lil Pump in the cut. Hey, gang shit, 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 gang shit. UW lecturer claimed that she he was demoted after pointing out male and female differences. Stuart Regis, a principal lecturer at the computer science at the University of Washington, alleges that he was demoted for being sympathetic to James Damore, the fire Google employee who wrote the controversial Google memo in 2017. In an article to Quillette, Regis wrote that it all started in 2018 when he wrote another piece for the outlet titled Why Women Don't Code, which gained popularity after Jordan Peterson tweeted a link to the story. Oh, he's fucked. Jordan Peterson, he's fucked. That's just going to fuck you right there. The recent Quilla article states that he was initially hired to run UW's introductory computer science classes, in which he developed two highly successful courses that have over 4,500 enrollments combined per year. Yet after his 2018 Quillette piece, graduate students at the campus filed a grievance against him with their union. Regis told Campus Reform that he was deeply concerned about what happened to Daymore, and he hoped it was overreaction, but said... I've since concluded that he was the canary in the coal mine. I have seen more and more emphasis on what I call the equality agenda in tech in general and at my school in particular. 
In response to the graduate students' complaints, UW created a work group, working group, which in turn released new guidelines. The guidelines included less rigorous grading when it comes to coding, sensitivity and bias training for teaching assistants, and spending less time trying to identify students who are cheating. <laughs> Unless they're white, right? They suggested reviewing each each course to ensure it's inclusive. Furthermore, the guidelines recommended that professors include in their class syllabi indigenous land acknowledgement. This is a computer class. I did not know that literally indigenous people made hard drives. We're talking about the Matrix here, motherfuckers. There were no Indians in the Matrix. Gender-neutral names that also reflect a number of different cultures and the avoidance of using the phrase like y'all, folks, and you guys. Goddamn, can't have any southern shit, huh? Is that what they're saying? Uh, Regis said that before he wrote the Quillette article, he spent a year discussing it with professors, to which he concluded, I am convinced that our diversity efforts are entering a dangerous phase where we emphasize blaming men more than encouraging women, seeing any difference in participation as proof of oppression when perhaps it's just a difference in the choices that men and women make for what career options most interest them. Sorry to get my cigar going again. Does that make sense to you? It does to me. There was an intense reaction from my faculty colleagues and particularly from a group of graduate students in our department. Many have called for me to be fired. In response to his assertion that he was he was demoted, UW spokesperson Victoria Balton told the Daily UW to be clear, Stewart is not being punished. She has not been demoted or placed on probation. When asked by campus reform for his response to the denial of the school, Regis said, having the most complex and impactful duties that I perform taken away from me is obviously a demotion. The bigger issue is the fact that I was reappointed for just one year. Every other lecturer reappointment in the Allen School has been for three years, and given that I have a higher lecturer rank, the faculty cold states that normal reappointments would be for at least three years. Oregon State University. Hey, Matt. Hey, Sean. What's up? To put feminine hygiene products in men's restrooms, too, because not all students who menstruate are female. Hmm. Identified. Sorry. They call it female identified. Starting this winter term, OSU will be placing free feminine hygiene products in all restrooms on campus, a decision which comes as a result of student-led initiative aims to fulfill the needs of people that experience menstruation, regardless of gender. A report of the school's new site, the Daily Barometer, said, according to Julian Chu, queer affairs coordinator for the school, <laughs> not all students who menstruate are female. We're adding these resources to all bathrooms that are not all students who menstruate are female identified. Many may identify as LBTQI, LGBTQIA plus male, other, etc. Jesus Christ, male's its own thing? I thought there was no gender. Those students may not be com- comfortable entering a specific bathroom if we provide these resources, only a specific bathroom, and that will include them from receiving, exclude them from receiving these free things. 
According to the Daily Barometer, the school's currently has at least 207 gender-inclusive restrooms in 75 buildings on campus. The first building to showcase the free menstrual products and waste bins in its restroom will be the Memorial Union and Student Experience Center. Vice President Kylie Bonick, who said across the product, it's not a privilege, it's a right. Rachel Joseph, Student Associate President, suggests the initiative helps shape a future that the world needs. Providing these services to all genders is absolutely necessary in servicing the need of the student body and also shaping an inclusive future student want to see and what the world needs. What the world needs now is tampons and pads. Cause don't you know that everybody menstruates? There you go. LGBTQ version. Jesus fucking Christ. Just for one building, it costs $2,000. Sweet God, if I was a parent putting my kid through college, I would just like, nope, I'm done. It's over. You're going to fucking, you're going to go online. Still going to get some inclusivity. They'll give you free fucking gigabytes if you're non-white. Gay superhero Batwoman comes out as openly gay in historic reveal. It's 2020 and liberal television still think it's a big deal to have a character be gay. It's so important that a character outing their superhero alter egos on television is also a big deal. CW's Batwoman goes the extra mile by outing Batwoman as a lesbian in the universe of the show. Apparently the latest milestone for the LGBTQEIEIO community. January 19th episode, How Queer Everything Is Today, has Kate Kane Batwoman, Ruby Rose, searching for a cyber terrorist. This unknown hacker was able to disrupt the Gotham City train system, as well as dox the personal information of the mayor from an unknown location. In addition, the hacker demanded a fight. It's hard to do this in, like, superhero voice when you're talking about gay shit. In addition, the hacker demands a $5 million ransom to prevent any other public information being linked. Fortunately, Batwoman locates the hacker at Long High School, revealing the cyber terrorist to be a teenager named Parker Malapiles. When confronted on this, Parker admits that she was trying to terrorize anyone, but merely wanted to freak out her parents and earn enough money to leave town because she's gay. Really, the motivation of the villain of the week is that her parents aren't supportive of her being gay. And I thought Batwoman already covered Strawman. And let's and let's rain check your it gets better PSA. We both know I'm going to grow up hiding my girlfriend and aspiring to be represented by an ancillary character on my favorite TV show. Just like you were probably the cool girl in high school and now you're famous and everyone's shipping you and the hottest guy in Gotham. What's worse is the moment when Parker actually gets to Kate to try and be herself. She finally comes out to the public, giving an interview to the press of Batwoman and revealing Batwoman to be gay. This information easily becomes front page news and Kate feels satisfied as her ex-Sophie, Megan Tandy and Parker read about Read about it. It's a true sign of the times when I agree with Rachel Maddow cameo, Vesper. What did happen to keeping superheroes out of the politics? After all, what does Batwoman being a lesbian have to do with her being a superhero? Being gay doesn't make one any more noble or self-sacrificing, so it's hardly constitutes mentioning in a show of being a superhero. Sadly, representation and having a progressive image seems to be more important than saving lives in the world of Batwoman. Unfortunately, that is not what we're getting from the liberal media. The Hollywood Reporter called the moment historic and groundbreaking. EW labeled it heroic. 
Deadline breathlessly reported on the scene, pretending that a gay woman playing a gay superhero coming out as gay on his own, her own series Worthy's a headline. In reality, Batwoman is a lousy excuse for a hero, even without the social justice nonsense. She's self-centered, arrogant, and only uses a superhero moniker to push her own agenda and boost her eager. She's basically the ultimate SJW, and there's nothing heroic about that. And she's failing. Batwoman rating collapse with queer episode. This is from a comic book website. Not the Daily Wire. Not some Nazi website. The CW's Batwoman series is following the big crisis on Infinite Earth crossover as its rating collapse as the show suffers its worst viewership to date with the How Queer Everything Is Today episode. Not including the Crisis crossover episode, Batwoman has been averaging about 1.2 million viewers. But the post-crisis episode that aired suddenly only manage a series low of 750,000 viewers. It's a loss of 500,000 viewers. This is also the first time Batwoman has had a lower amount of viewers than Batgirl or Supergirl. Sunday's episode of Supergirl, which followed Batwoman, saw more viewers tune in than Batwoman. So that says some of the Supergirl fans obviously are not watching Batwoman or waiting to tune in Supergirl. Supergirl got 830K. Next article, Batwoman Supergirl CW ratings low. And this was including seven day DVR viewing. Seven day, not the one day, seven. Because they give extra credit because you're gay. Another article, Batwoman and Supergirl viewership continue to decline as ratings stay steady. They're trying to make a positive, but it's not. Batwoman and Supergirl show to continue to lose viewers nearly every week. However, the ratings appear to be stabilized. Batwoman, the latest numbers for Batwoman Episode 7, Tell Me the Truth, which was before the fucking gay reveal, saw the show lose nearly 7%. Total viewership was down to 1 million. Episode 6, I'll be judge, I'll be jury, saw 1,900,000 viewers. So now with this gay reveal, I guess even the gay people just don't care. Then we got the L word, Generation Q. That's your baby. Lesbian show surprisingly plays sound of unborn child heartbeat. Which really surprised me. I'm surprised I played that. Toy Company introduces ranges of gender-neutral and LGBTQ-inclusive toys, including an adorable rainbow called Archie. A London toy fair has revealed a range of gender-neutral and socially conscious toys. Socially conscious. The toys are socially conscious that are set to hit the shops of 2020, including an adorable LGBTQ plus rainbow named Archie. Pun fully intended. The Colorful Plus Toys, a star of Mark Maker's early reading range of books and soft toys made by EDUK8. He comes with a coloring book that teaches children how to use curves, and he also has a pal called Lionel, a soldier. It's a sign that Britain's top toy maker are becoming more socially conscious as they gear marketing towards a more progressive generation of parents. 
Archie's a boy and he's a rainbow. There's now more than more to the LGBTQ+. Plus. You can add an R, E-D-U-K-8. Spokesperson Sabrina Weddle told Daily Mail, it's for everyone. It's all toys should be. Really. It's encouraging a lot of our exhibitors to no longer target towards the products towards boys or girls. As well as many gender-neutral and LGBTQ-friendly toys, the ex- exhibition also included a range of eco-friendly plushies to teach children about conservation and environment. The designer, Keel Eco, makes the cuddly toys out of recycled plastic bottles to raise awareness for animals most under the threat from plastic bottles. Kids can choose from fluffy orangutan and hawksbill turtle, a blue whale, and many more. The toys start like... Life is plastic pellets, which are shredded to create yarn. La-di-da-di-da. Embracing teenage sexuality, it's let's rethink the age of consent. HuffPo. There's like ten articles on this. And I'll just go to the end. That is not to say that teenagers won't choose to remain celibate. I cannot imagine why they would, but I respect the right to do so. However, there are 16- to 17-year-olds who want to indulge in one of life's great pleasures should not have to worry about the long arm of the law coming after them. Even more important, our society needs to open debate on this question. For far too long, those progressive voices who would bring common sense to the issue of teenage sexuality have been afraid to speak out for fear of being branded as sympathetic to pedophiles and sex predators. The reality is that reasonably lower age of consent and frank national discussion on analyst sexuality would serve the interests of the very minors that current laws are supposedly trying to protect. Pro-sex is pro-safety. Conservative parents are certainly entitled to encourage their teenage daughters to keep their legs crossed, much as they may tell their sons that masturbation causes blindness. Who the fuck says that anymore? Well, they do not have... A right to do is to lock the rest of our society in a chastity belt by fighting a war on sexuality under the specious guise of protecting teens from themselves. So that's the thing. Not only are they pushing maps, minor attacked person, they're now trying to lower the age for consent so that 20-year-olds can bang 14-year-olds. And seriously, every article I read about sexuality, they have to bash conservatives. That we're setting it. No, we're not. You are. There's been no conservative setting any social norms in our country as long as I can remember. And I'm 52. You motherfuckers have been taking it further and further off the fucking cliff. As you are. On climate. Okay. Okay. Oh, you. It's not all about energy. It's about raising awareness for climate change in schools and all over Charlotte. Because here's the thing. Changes can be made. This is the first step to radical action and we need it to happen. Thank you. We will make sure they that we put them against the wall. You know, you you know you're a pollutant. Too much CO2. So we have to get rid of the babies. That's a big problem. Just stopping having babies that's not enough. 
We need to eat the babies. How dare you? Um, I will speak later today, so I just want to take this opportunity to once again remind everyone of our current situation. In chapter 2 on page 108 in the SR 1.5 IPCC report they came out in 2018, it says that if we are to have a 67% chance of limiting the global average temperature rise to below 1.5 degrees Celsius, we had on January 1st, 2018, about 420 gigatons of CO2 left to emit in that budget. And of course that number is much lower today as we emit about 42 gigatons of CO2 every year, including land use. With today's emissions levels, that remaining budget is gone within less than eight years. These numbers aren't anyone's opinions or political views. This is the current best available science. Though many scientists suggest these figures are too moderate, these are the ones that have been accepted through the IPCC. And please note that these figures are global and therefore do not say anything about the aspect of equity, which is absolutely necessary to make the Paris Agreement work on a global scale. And that means that richer countries need to get down to zero emissions much faster and then help poorer countries do the same so that people in less fortunate parts of the world can raise their living standards. And these numbers also don't include most feedback loops, non-linear tipping points, or nor additional warming hidden by toxic air pollution. Most models, however, assume that future generations will, however, however, will somehow be able to suck hundreds of billions of CO2, of tons of CO2 out of the air with technologies that do not exist today in the scale required, and perhaps never will. The approximate 67% chance is the one with the highest odds given by the IPCC. And now we have less than 340 gigatons of CO2 left to emit in that budget to share fairly. And why is it so important to stay below 1.5 degrees Celsius? Because even at one degree, people are dying from climate change. Because that is what the United Science calls for to avoid destabilizing the climate so that we have the best possible chance to avoid setting off irreversible chain reactions. Every fraction of a degree matters. Since last summer, I've been repeating these numbers over and over again in almost every speech. But honestly, I don't think I have once seen any media outlets or person in power communicated this and what it means. I know you don't want to report about this. I know you don't want to talk about this. But I assure you I will continue to repeat these numbers until you do. What the fuck, man? Now we got eight years? Jesus, I can't keep up with this shit. Greta Thunberg says pretty much nothing's been done. The teenage climate activists has addressed businesses and world leaders as part of the youth activist panel at Davos. Um, they have a chart here. Understanding the non-state actors create clean energy transition. It, this flow chart is the most confusing fucking thing. But I think that's their intent. 
They make all this shit confusing, and they say, well, you're not a scientist, but this little fucking kid's like the expert. Yeah, I'm supposed to listen to everything this Wahoo says. So now we got eight fucking years. Eight. Further in the article, young climate activists, including Greta Thunberg, will be attending Davos, uh, World Leaders to End the Fossil Fuel Economy. In 2017 alone, the world spent 5.2 subsidizing fossil fuels. Blah, 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 blah. Goes into this bullshit. It's just all bullshit with bullshit. But here's the best part. Flashback. One year ago, celebrity congresswoman Alexandra Ocasio-Cortez warned everybody at 12 years. For some reason, GOP seems to think this is a gap, but it's actually a generational difference. Young people understand that climate change is an existential threat. 3,000 Americans died in Hurricane Maria. The UN says we got 12 years to fix it. World Economic Forum. We have eight years. <laughs> Keep in mind what Greta is saying in the speech is politically impossible. She wants zero emissions, not net zero. Just zero, which is actually more honest than the other alarmists who are hoping for technologies that haven't been invented. Uh, because distant net zero emission targets will mean absolutely nothing if we just continue to ignore carbon dioxide budget. Al Gore, great to see Greta Thunberg at WEF 20 today. Once again, I was struck by her potent and sobering call to action. Nobody speaks truth to power as she does. Our house is still on fire. Your inaction is fueling the flames by the hour. Somebody said, two terrorists and one photo. And they are. It's like economic. So then Trump went, and oh my God, oh my God, they were just triggered. WAPO's Heather Long. This is telling. Pretty much every other leader of Davos came to talk about cooperating and addressing climate change. Trump is talking about how great his economy is. He's talking solely about America and himself. And he talked about gas, American vast fuel resources via Los Angeles time Chris Migerian. At that time that when Davos is worried about climate change, Trump is boasting about production of traditional fuels like coal and natural gas. The U.S. was on the brink of war with Iran and gasoline prices did not move. Maybe developing American resources was, you know, good for the world? Javier Blas, Trump boasted, we are on the threshold of virtually unlimited energy resources. <clears throat> David Rothkopf, Davis and Br- Davos embracing Trump is an indictment of both Trump and Davos. Dear Diary. Somebody said to him, I don't know why they did that. Jim Acosta, he's the dear diary. As his Senate trial begins, Trump has arrived at Davos Forum and once again referred to impeachment as a witch hunt and a hoax. Then, Trump is in Davos, would not answer questions on whether there should be witnesses in the impeachment trial. He's really trying to steer clear of the subject. Nobody attacked fucking Acosta for not sticking to what it was about. Climate change. I mean, it's the most existential threat. Isn't it? Or is it Trump? I mean, do you fucking people know? Do you have your chant cards put together? Because one minute it's climate change, then it's Trump's the biggest threat to the world. I don't know which one's which. Jim Roberts, Greta Thunberg's message at Davos, our house is on fire. Ben Smith, Trump asked about Greta Thunberg. I'm a big believer in the environment. And then he calls climate alarmists heirs of yesterday's foolish fortune tellers. And he's right. They are. They've been wrong every time. Mark Lander, Trump and Davis said the U.S. will join an initiative to plant one trillion trees, but he implicitly slams climate change activists. 
SBS News, Trump has lashed out at perennial prophets of doom who warned the world is in a major environmental crisis. He addresses the audience. He's right. Quick take by Bloomberg. Trump takes aim at alarmist, rejects those who predict doom and apocalypse. Well, here's the funny thing, folks. AOC is talking about Puerto Rico. And this week, they had to finally admit what conservative media printed year ago that the local government fucked it all up. Mrs. I'm out of power, but I can make print scheme shirts and bash Trump for my re-election campaign. Do you remember this? So how did AOC act when it came out? What has happened in Puerto Rico is horrifying. From withholding relief aid to local and federal corruption, there's a lack of accountability rooted in colonial status that's costing people their lives. It's dehumanizing, unjust, and exhausting. It's personal. I've lost family. On the federal level, the colonial status of island means that the government makes decisions for millions who lack voting power. Administration without representation. Too often that means it's up to a handful of members who are really willing to take up PR on an unofficial second district. Uh, Nidia Velasquez, the piece of shit, is leading on getting the hospital in Vienca rebuilt. I spent much of last year securing cleanup funds for those getting cancer from former U.S. bombing. CHC hounds FEMA on recovery. But the difficulty in Congress stays in colonial status. I'm only to remember, you blame Donald Trump for the obvious local government corruption in Puerto Rico. She had about 10,000 tweets to that and she would not nor will the media acknowledge it that's what you said it was trump's fault and this is what it comes down to you make doomsdays that are bullshit you got to change signs because the glaciers aren't supposed to be there we're all supposed to be underwater we're not supposed to have water we're not supposed to have fucking natural gas we're not going to have gases out now We're all dead. And then you vilify everybody with everything. Katrina, it's Trump's fault. Fires, it's goddamn climate deniers made all the fires. And then you put articles out like this. The nation's global warming freakout. Sports will either sink into the sea or burn. The crisis in Australian Open is living present-day example the way climate destruction is evading and warping the normally hermetically sealed entertainment chamber that is a world of sport. That neutrality will no longer suffice. It can either strive to be part of the solution or it can be an instrument of distraction. If they choose the latter, the minders of our games will be obscuring the severity of the problem even as their own sports sink into the sea or simply burn. Nowhere in the article does it say it was started by arsonists. And you wonder why people say you're full of shit. From guns to abortion to climate, the left and the media just lie. And oh my God, did they not on MLK Day for our Everything is Racist. Everything is Racist! NBC News. Watch. President Trump and VP Pence visit the Martin Luther King Memorial in Washington, D.C. on MLK Day. According to White House schedule, 
Trump has nothing on his public schedule to honor MLK Day. The White House pool, which covers and travels with him, isn't called to arrive until 3 p.m., and he leaves at 6.15 p.m. for Davos. That is a news company. He goes, he goes to the frickin' memorial, pays his respect, and then at 3 o'clock he's departing for Davos. This was at 11 a.m. It was done for one reason, to make him look like a racist and stir up clickbait. And here we go. Goff Bennett, according to White House schedule, President Trump has nothing on his schedule from MLK, blah, 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 blah. Molly Jong Fast, President Trump has nothing on his schedule on Armageddon Day. He planned with a very problematic for president who came to prominence on a racist lie. Rob Reiner, not, noting nothing on the president's schedule today, he wouldn't dare show his face on the day that honors MLK. He did. He went to the monument. Amy Siskind. He's not even hiding it. According to White House schedule, he's got nothing going on. He'd probably tweet to celebrate the neo-Nazis in Virginia instead. Of course, the response will be that he only visited the MLK Memorial. To those who will even admit he went, most seem to think it was the Klan rally. Trump won't acknowledge MLK Day because he no longer cares. Even pretends he isn't racist. Lee Nixon. He's already tweeted his support of Nazis this morning. Caroline, honestly, maybe you should just keep MLK's name out of his mouth. Anything he could say now will be disingenuous anyway. TikTok, if he gets reelected, he will cancel MLK Day. My little blissful married scullion. I don't care to hear the racist in chief make any remarks about MLK because they'd not be heartfelt. They would just be uttered because someone told them to. And yes, he's busy inciting gun nuts in Virginia. Another one. Are you really surprised? He appears to be trying for all-time low. But here, there is no problem. Nothing he can do surprises me. It's disgraceful. Jossie, the mask is off. It's vile. It's racist. It's intentional. Anything he did would make mockery. I thought he'd be toting a gun in Richmond. Black man would anger his base. Racists don't celebrate MLK. He doesn't want to be distracted from the gun march. Should anyone be surprised? Trump is a racist. He'd rather be in a white supremacist rally. Unless he shows up at the gun rally and supporters gun-toting peeps. Lots of tweets on his white power base today, though. Uh, Elliot Miller. Any tweet he makes referencing gun rally is a slap in the face to MLK. Don Hill. Uh, he's too busy promoting hate at Capitol, Virginia. Trump's a racist who never revere a man who led the way in civil rights. He's deplorable. This is absolutely disgusting and un-American. He'd rather sit his assault rifle carrying cronies to VA. Last time you guys did this, he showed up in Afghanistan with the troops, somebody said. And he retweeted him visiting the monument. But once again, why report the truth? It's better just to stoke racial division in the country. That's what NBC's here for. And so is our liberals and our liberal shit. Bad segue.
Come on down! You're the next contestant on Liberal Shit! Why should a pregnant woman being killed be considered double homicide if the unborn child's not a human life? I don't know. I don't don't have an answer to that question. Hi, I'm Eduardo Norette with Campus Reform. Today we're at George Washington University in downtown Washington, D.C. We're asking students about abortion, whether they think they should be any limits, and what they consider a human life. So many of the Democratic candidates support abortion in the third trimester. What do you think? Do you support abortion in the third trimester? I feel like at the end of the day, it's it's a woman's body to decide what she wants. That's like not my, I don't have much to say about that. If she wants to do it, then that's up to her. So even if it was like in the ninth month, it should be left to her choice. I'll roll with uh, yes on that one. I think it depends on the situation. I definitely think um, it's the women's choice of what they want to do. And I think that if the women have all of the information from their doctors and from other things, then it shouldn't be anybody else's decision. Uh, yeah, I mean, I'm assuming people who are getting abortions in the third trimester have some sort of medical reason for doing so. So I don't think you should be able to just ban it. Do I think that, like, I think that if they feel it's the right decision, it's their body they should have the right to do that but it's also not my decision to make like if a mother feels like that's like the right or if a family feels like that's the right choice then i believe it should be legal for whoever wants to do it it's their choice it's not really i'm not going to be having a kid so i think the woman if they want to do it they can do it so you feel there should be no restrictions on abortion there should be any restrictions at all it's just if they want to do it then do it because if we restrict it then they're going to do it anyways you feel like there should be any limits on abortion some candidates have suggested you know maybe in the first or second trimester not third at all i mean give me a month is there a month to you that it would be too far would you support abortion in the ninth month eight month where should we put a limit if at all on abortion I feel like medically I don't know enough to form an opinion on that, but I feel like if someone doesn't want a child or doesn't want to go through with a pregnancy, they should be able to opt out. Many of them have said it should be legal for extreme circumstances, and I agree with that. So what what extreme uh, kind of circumstances would you be okay with abortion in the third trimester? I don't have a specific list. I think it would include life-threatening, like life of the mother is threatened. Do you think there should be any restrictions at all on abortion? Like, what about in the ninth month, eighth month? What do you guys lie? Any restrictions on abortion? I honestly think that if a doctor thinks that it's safe for the woman, then it should be legal. For women who don't have a health excuse, do you think there should be any limits on when they can get an abortion? You say the word excuse like somebody's just like trying to give it like to get out of like having the right to have an abortion. Planned Parenthood in our country is being decimated so women's access to places where they can get an abortion is really restricted and especially also because they can't take time off work. Oftentimes they don't have the opportunity in the first two trimesters. So to restrict a woman's access because of that I think would be absurd. I'm absolutely 100% pro-choice but I feel that late-term abortions are unethical and that the baby is almost formed. Baby could survive outside of the womb at like seven months, I think, so. I'm pro-choice, but I don't think it should be legal in the third trimester unless it's an um, extreme circumstance like rape or incest. Would you support, do you believe that the U.S. taxpayers should pay for abortions? Um, Well, I am pro, like, universal health care, so I feel like people should have access to health care plans that do subsidize abortion at at the very least. 
I think they should because I think it should be like considered a health service that everyone should have the right to. Do you think uh, taxpayers should pay for abortions? Absolutely. I think that should be included because if not, we're, we're putting women at risk for doing it, you know, uh, uh, illegally and in dangerous ways that are cheaper and that's going to endanger their health further and cause further medical bills. So I think it's a part of the health. It should be a part of the health care system. And I also believe that the health care system should be paid for the taxpayers like the NHS is in the, in the UK. In theory, I would support that as it's because it's another medical surgery. Like is it any other medical operation that the U.S. Tax, taxpayers pay for? I think that this should be included on that list. I think that it's just as much a medical sur- like unnecessary medical surgery in many instances as anything else is. Why do you think it's a health service? So unlike other, and obviously there are cases when the life of the mother is endangered and it, and it is in fact a threat to her health, but in, in the many cases where it's not, in your opinion, why would you call or how would you convince someone that that is a, a health procedure? Well, I mean, it's something that your body is going through and um, I don't know, I guess I've never thought about it like that. I think that even in a healthy pregnancy, it does affect the health of the person carrying a child. like. It affects their ability to work. It affects their ability to do whatever they want to do. Um, and obviously, then they have a whole child to care for if they go through with it. Do you consider an unborn child uh, a human life? Um, complicated. Yeah, I cut that in about a half because it's it's just nonstop. Oh, yeah, my body, my choice. Do what I fucking want. Emily Linden, abortion is normal. And for many of us, abortion is just one of the many things we have in common with our parents. She links to a Teen Vogue article, Daniel Kampapore. The attacks on abortion access are scary, but just as people didn't start having abortions when Roe became precedent, people will not stop having abortions no matter what happens to Roe. Abortion is part of how we plan our families. It allows us to shape our lives, and for 59% of people who have abortion, it helps us care for the children we already have. Abortion is a common experience that family members share. A fact I realized when I told my mom that I was pregnant and wanted to have an abortion only for her to tell me about the abortion she had before giving birth to me. I wouldn't exist if my mom didn't have access to abortion care when she needed it. And my two sons, age five and one, wouldn't exist if I didn't kill one of my babies too. Yeah. Everybody in the world. No, no, no. It will never be normal for a woman to kill her child, regardless of state of development or geographical location. Later on, this Emily Lynn, one could say that if you want to be regarded as a serious mind in social matters, maybe not retweet insipid articles of Teen Vogue as a first step. First step. A favorite hot take was her stating that abortion was the most responsible decision a woman can make about her body. I'm sure being polluted with testosterone leads to one to ask why avoiding the unwanted pregnancy in the first place is somehow not a more responsible decision. Well, Emily did not stop with her lengthy attempt to forward the abortion agenda. Later in the day, she made an attempt at cutting down some of those who opposed her stance. Pro-life folks could consider rebranding as anti-pleasurable sex for women. It would be more accurate, according to all the people I'm currently subtweeting, this is legitimately the dumbest thing I've seen all day, and I saw Adam Schiff earlier was a response. This is what I like to call the handmade syndrome. They really bought that shit hook, line, and sinker, all right? It, it, it is abortion porn for them, and they totally own it. I mean, they... 
What does that have to do with it? I tweeted this knucklehead that it used to be legal, safe, and infrequent. And we spent a whole election cycle about birth control. And now you want to abort kids till kindergarten. Hashtag irresponsible. I had 10 retweets by women who agreed with me. I mean, it's called birth control. But the big hit this week is that they have finally addressed women coming to America to have a baby for free on your and my dime and get an anchor baby. AOC brings it to our attention. Pregnant women, this administration is now targeting pregnant women. When you single out the most vulnerable, the cruelty is the point. NBC News, Latino. U.S. to impose visa restriction for pregnant women. It's called birth tourism, you hysterical loon. And it should be illegal. Americans can't afford to take care of all its own citizens, let alone all the people pooping out anchor babies here. This is all response. The Trump administration is coming out with a new visa restriction aimed at restricting birth tourism, in which women trial the United States to give birth so the children can be coveted U.S. passport. The State Department planned to publicize the rules Thursday, according to two officials with knowledge of the plan. We spoke to the Associated Press on condition of anonymity. This is where Trump, after three years, just fucked up. If he hasn't fired everybody that was hired under Obama, he's an idiot, because this shit got out before it ever got released. The rules would make it more difficult for pregnant women to travel on tourist visa. In one draft of the regulation, they would have to clear an additional hurdle being obtaining the visas, convincing a consular officer that they have another legitimate reason to become United States. Literally, somebody asked, does AOC understand this was a problem under the last president, and they thought about cracking down on it? Foreign, uh, foreign policy. 16K can buy a house or car, but it can get you your baby U.S. citizenship. Can't buy your house and car, but it can get your citizenship. <clears throat> On Chinese birth tourism, they put some stuff out. And does she know the crackdown began before Trump became president? Los Angeles Times. Every year, pregnant women cross oceans to have their babies in America despite the crackdown on birth tourism. Birth tourism is a lucrative business in both the U.S. and abroad. American companies take out advertisement and charge up to 80000 to facilitate the practice, offering hotel rooms and medical care. Many of the women travel from Russia and China to give birth to the U.S. The U.S. has been cracking down on the practice since before Trump took office. That's their article. L.A. Times. Robert R. Balseris Sr., Trump properties are birth tourism, destination for wealthy Russians. Evidently, U.S. citizenship is easy if you're willing to pay Trump. And they found that somebody was doing it in one of his properties. Probably didn't even know it. But why, if we're so fucked up, and there's so many poor people, if we're falling apart at the seams and the country's as bad as they say, why would you have a problem with this? Why? We have people trying to become citizens legally. You want to make all these illegals citizens. Why should it be okay just to fly here and have a baby and become a U.S. citizen? Why? You can't do that anywhere in the world. Nowhere. And what makes this worse, it's not people of color doing it, you moon bats. It's rich white people. Army Dramedy rejects deportation because some asshole in Washington wants to get reelected. This is 68 Whiskey. I taped it. I started it. 
This was the beginning of the show. The president's a piece of shit. Everybody's a piece of shit. I deleted it, and they lost me. It had a cute premise. It was kind of like a mash, but it's all SJW. Viewership was under 2 million for the premiere. It's not going to make it. Then, of course, we have the regular shit that I knew was going to happen because we have the 49ers. And some people are offended by that because they had Chinamen and slaves and all that crap. And the Chiefs. And here was a thread that came up on BR. Vincent Chilling. So the Super Bowl this year is the 49ers and the Kansas City Chiefs. As a former sports editor and as a Native American journalist, I have a few things to say about this appropriation bowl. First, the Chiefs are not honoring Native people. I'll explain it in a thread. I typed Kansas City Chief on the Twitter gifts, and the offensive image of a man doing the tomahawk chop and a headdress as the third image come up. Also, did you realize they got their name from a non-Native man who formed a fake Indian Boy Scout tribe, the Mikosei? And I wrote my article, The Creation of the Mikosei, by Harold Rowe Bartel, a non-Native man with a 25-cigar-a-day habit and booming voice, was the man behind the catalyst leading to the eventual creation of the name for the Kansas City football team. The Mikosei became wildly popular and increased camp attendance and scout summer camps by young men who wished to incorporate Native American traditions in their scouting activities. In 1928, for fuck's sake, Bartell was named the Scout Executive of Kansas City Area County. Bartle was named the scout executive of the Kansas City Area Council. Mikosei was so successful, other camps were formed. Bartle's Mikosei Camp in Ocelia, Missouri, now the Bartle Scout Reservation, still exists today. So does the Mikosei tribe. Bartle was known in many of the circles as chief, served as the mayor of Kansas City, Missouri, for two terms. In 1962, he helped to persuade Lamar Hunt, the owner of the Dallas Texans football team, <clears throat> to bring this team to Kansas City. Guess what Bartle asked the new team name be? Bartle asked the name to be the Chiefs. <clears throat> they got their name from a non-native man who created a fake Indian Boy Scout tribe that still exists today. How the Kansas City Chief got their name, a Boy Scout tribe Mikosei. So what do I have as a native man to do? I ask that we spread awareness, share our information, share our concerns. If you support the, I support your right to do so, but I ask that you not argue at me to change my position or tell me I should not be offended and be honored. I also support the NFL players who have worked very hard to achieve their level of athleticism. But I think of my grandmother who was so afraid to be, uh, to be a Mohawk, she never uttered a word in her language to me, lest I also be stolen away by a boarding school. I ask for respect. So all said about the Super Bowl, Appropriation Bowl, no doubt people will tell me to get over it or move on, but it isn't just about the team name. It's a sweeping approval of the NFL to allow headdresses, face paint, tomahawk chops, and more games. No, I won't just move on, hashtag as we put down. Talks about the importance of championships or world championships, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. But I'm waiting to see championship behavior from the world of sports in terms of respecting native culture, something I haven't seen yet at the Redskins. Yes, we have talked about this extensively on our show at Native Trail Blaze. I'm sure that's a scorcher. <clears throat> Regarding Lone Star D's, a draft dodger who took the name of a native veteran to promote his own interest, which has nothing to do with what he's talking about. I knew it was coming. The NFL can't stop private citizens from doing something. And that's the problem with the left. You want to stop freedom of speech. Secondly, 
bitching about a white dude who wanted to incorporate native skills in a Boy Scout troop sounds like more he was showing respect to them than actually fucking them. But, you know, hey, what the fuck do I know? I'm just a normal American who doesn't look like, look at everything as race. But from the world of sports, as we go out to our lighter fare, which is brief, because this is a long show, I didn't see a lot of talk about this all-out brawl between African-American players in the Kansas City, the K-State game. And I have thoughts. And that'll do it, this version. And a block to finish. And DeSosa blocks it, and now the bench is empty. Just unnecessary. Yeah. That's not good. This is, this is bad. Oh, this is bad. This is ex- no. no good. Oh, this is terrible. There are going to be ramifications for this going forward. And it's just... Just no point to it. Yeah, that is not acceptable. I would get your, my team to the locker room right now. There were definitely punches thrown. Yeah. These officials cannot leave the floor until they sort this out. And this could have ramifications going forward for both teams. Yeah. Now, this might have come across as what the way I sent it out, like I'm a racist for saying that. But do you think that would not become national news if a bunch of white guys got in a fight? Do you not think with our media that would have been a big deal? It was a flash in a pan. BR was one article, not a social commentary on what is this about. During Trump's presidency, we now have sports attacking each other or something. It was just dropped because it was predominantly African-Americans fighting. And that's okay, I guess, which seems way more racist. To other sports news, I thought this was an interesting tidbit. Franchises without a Super Bowl title. Arizona Cardinals, the Panthers, and the Titans, because Houston never got one either. The Lions, yeah, we knew that. Atlanta, the Bengals, the Houston Texans, the Chargers, the Buffalo Bills, the Cleveland Browns, the Jaguars, who came close, and the Minnesota Vikings. And for some reason, I thought they did, but they didn't. So, sorry, Steve. I hope you still listen. That kind of sucks. I thought they won one. Uh, they've been, but they just never won, which kind of sucks. And then to close out the Target Tory section, uh, she did release a response because she got that thirty grand. I'd like to thank all of you for your generosity. It's inspiring to see so many people united for a good cause. 
if I have learned anything from this experience, it is that people are good and that these acts of kindness cannot stop with me. I'm currently working with resources to find a cause that is worthy of your generosity and something that you would all be proud to donate to. And I thought that was pretty fucking cool. That's that's pretty fucking cool right there. Um, that she would donate the money and not just keep it for herself. So, um, good on her. And this wraps up another episode of Flavor Politic Podcast. Please feel free to share with your family and friends. Send comments to F-O-P-P-O-D-C-A-S-T and gmail.com. FOP. Podcast gmail.com. You get this show on SoundCloud, Podcast Attic, TuneIn Radio, Google Play, iTunes, Blueberry, Stitcher, and Pocket Cast. Make sure to check out the Facebook page at FOP Podcast and our Twitter page at FOP Tony Reed. So we're going to go with another podcast, um, hopefully Tuesday, if everything works out. My intent is to do it on the 28th after I get done my crack appointment. If not, it'll be the 29th. So let's just plan on the 28th. Hopefully, I'll be able to get enough material and crank it out. Hope you enjoy your weekend with your family. Say it every podcast. Disconnect from all your devices. Don't give the yeah yes. Be present, as the new catchphrase is. And spend time with your loved ones, because it is a short ride. And uh, positive thoughts from my wife. Um, her boss is there right now, so hopefully she is not being terminated, because that's what she thought was going to happen. I'm hoping she's not, so that we can make amends and work out other financial things so we aren't, we're not tight at all. There's a couple things we can move around, and be good to go, and no, it's not because I don't want to get a job. It's because I'm finding it very hard to get a job. Um, unbeknownst to the show, I probably applied three or four jobs a week. But the longer you sit on the sideline, I think it's more the reticence in employing you. I'm kind of running into that right now. So that kind of sucks. Anyway, as always, my friends, thanks for listening, and take care. Thank you for listening to Flyover Politic Podcast. Please check out our Facebook page at FOP Podcast and Twitter account at FOP Tony Reed. Remember, it's a short ride. Make every day count. Thank you.